weekend. Info. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. Leonard Bernstein conducting. You couldn't uh, make a musical like that today. It would be deemed uh, politically incorrect. Remember, this was about Puerto Ricanos, Boricuas, Americans by birth, whether here on the mainland or back on the island, the Commonwealth. It just got racked by that uh, storm, Fiona. We'll be discussing that later on. But uh, a lot of developments on the uh, illegal alien front, as many, many more just keep pouring in each and every day. Underlay, underlay. Ever since Donald Trump and president debated Joe Biden, the former vice president, and Joe Biden said, hey, if I become president of the United States, I will be your papa chulo. And um, then I'm going to say, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And oh boy, those illegals were wearing sweatshirts with Joe Biden's Ufacha on it. And they were coming to the border. The moment he got inaugurated, the lines have not stopped. Thousands pour over each and every day, mostly across uh, the uh, land that separates Texas from Mexico, but also Arizona from Mexico, uh, New Mexico from Mexico, and California from Mexico. But it's uh, to the state of Texas that we have focused most of our attention. Because, as you know, it was uh, Greg Abbott who said enough is enough as governor of Texas. He was able to get the state legislature in Austin, Texas, to put aside enough money to start busing the illegals as soon as they crossed the border and sought asylum. To first Washington, D.C., where Mayor Bowser there declared an emergency and wanted to call up the National Guard. And then all of a sudden, remember, remember how this all took place. The pressure, the focus, the epicenter of embarrassing the federal officials was always going to be Washington, D.C. In fact, recently, a number of buses have gone to the Naval Observatory, which is where Vice President Harris and her family lives. Giggles lives there. (laughs) And so the, the idea was always to embarrass... Papa Chulo, Joe Biden, his arena in charge of uh, border security, 
uh, Giggles Harris, and obviously Mayorkas, who is the head of Homeland Security, which oversees the Migre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, and the most important organization of that federal bureaucracy to keep us safe and secure, ICE, which was formed after the attack of 9-11, to do two things. To A, go after people who have overstayed their visas, of which there are many. And number two, to go after the criminal illegal aliens, those who had either committed crimes in their country of origin, were able to slip through uh, the border, or committed crimes while residing here illegally. You serve a retainer, you have them arrested, they go into normal civil court, uh, criminal court, uh, whatever the court is, and then once it's adjudicated, they do their time here, and then it is ISIS's job to immediately um, impound them in a immigration and naturalization service uh, facility. We have one in downtown Manhattan. We have another one in this area in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and then to begin the deportation process. But they are constantly maligned. They are constantly attacked. They are constantly having to defend what they do. And there is no cooperation and communication in sanctuary states and cities, of which New York State and city is, as is New Jersey and the cities of New Jersey, as is the state of Connecticut and the cities of Connecticut. Uh, those are the three major states in our tri-state area that are considered a sanctuary state and a sanctuary series of cities, starting with the largest cities in those states. So whether it is Hartford, the capital in Connecticut, whether it's New York City here in New York or Newark, the largest city in New Jersey, sanctuary cities in which their elected and appointed officials have ordered everyone within that structure, including law enforcement, to have absolutely no communication with, with ICE. ICE, which actually has its finger on the pulse, knows the people who are coming across the border, knows people who fly back and forth who are a danger to our society, uh, monitors the no-fly list, of which 83 people so far have been detained at the border who are on the no-fly list as potential terrorists. And yet, we don't want any communication with them. And now, look at this Michigash. Look at this hot mess. So, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, on loan from WCBS-FM. The crew is back. Uh, and Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, our nighttime producer. Uh, this is the brothers, the brothers uh, who are running this show here. Unlike uh, the alternative, which is Frank Morano, the other side of midnight, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. It is the McWhitey Whiteys. As you know, with a man who clearly is an alias, Matt Blaze. I mean, come on. That's an alias name. He's a fugitive. And then probably the biggest brown nose I have ever met in my life, Alex, the producer for the Frank Morano, Other Side of Midnight, who's got his schnoz, his big schnoz, so far up the tuchus of Frank Morano. I mean, he gives new meaning to the term brown nose. And they have so many other people, sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys who assist them. But we are lean, but we're not mean. Because our goal is not just to inform you, educate you, engage you, because this is a call-driven show. In fact, all weekend long, WABC and all of its forms in which I appear, uh, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting, Curtis. 
uh, after I take you to the break of dawn. And remember, nobody's going to sleep. Nobody's going to sleep. I'm taking you to 6 o'clock hour. A few hours later, I join Anthony Weiner after he finishes his solo show in the middle uh, with left versus right, 3 to 4. And then so nice, the suits let me do it twice. I come back to do Sunday mornings from 12 to 6. And then, oh, boy. Then it's from 3 to 5 in the afternoon where I do a rip and read and I take your calls. And then I finish up at night from 9 to 11 with the issues of the day. And, again, all call-driven. I would much rather listen to all of you than to any guest who's going to come in with a pre-formatted uh, series of uh, talking points. And you're not going to break him or her of that because that's what they've been practicing for. And then we finish the weekend all up with the most requested, most phoned-in most interesting of all the hours that I do, the Animal Welfare Hour with my wife, Nancy, the uh, Animal Rescuer par excellence. And we are in the process of having reached out to all of you. Uh, we have two kitties that have been rescued uh, who have been uh, made safe and secure in the sanctuary we provide them in our lair. Uh, that's right. That's what our uh, uh, Upper West Side apartment has become a lair for 18 rescue cats. And I know that we have solicited for your suggestions on what the name of this brother and sister kitty should be. Uh, so if you're going to our Facebook, if you're going to any of our other social network platforms, I'm sure you've been requested to get your suggestions in before we have to pick the final names of the brother and sister kittens. And then naturally, most importantly, we are here to also... Shake up, uh, shake it up here. Uh, because too often throughout the course of the day, oh, it gets so heavy. Politics, Trump is God, Biden sucks. You know, the same repeated lines, hosted hostesses. It's almost like a Xerox copy of one another. No, 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 no. I'm more of a Trumper than you are. No, no, no. I, I'm more of a Trumper than you are. No, Biden sucks. No, no. He's worse than sucks. He's horrible. And I get, oh, got to turn this crap off. I can't hear. I can't deal with this. Where's the entertainment factor? Where's the theater of the mind? Is it only relegated to the wee hours of the morning? Well, if that's the case, so be it. But you get a slice of that every Monday through Friday from 12.15 to 1, right after Bill O'Reilly, your lunchtime edition of the Curtis Slewa Show. And let me tell you, there yeah, I don't take any calls. It's a ripper reading commentary. And boy, I set it off. It is different than any other show here at WABC, or might I suggest any other show in radio, period. Whether it is AM, active-minded which clearly we are here at WABC, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound coming from that Tower of Power in Lodi, New Jersey, that at this moment reaches 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and you can hear it right between Bermuda and the Bahamas and the West Indies, right on down to Davy Jones's locker. And, of course, we have our FM uh, sister station out in the east end of Long Island, FM stands for freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, and, of course, Frank Morano. And uh, we conflate with that signal there. And that's why we are the number one news talk station in the nation, bar none. But let's get you updated first by giving you a um, panoply of different statements that have been made. Essentially, you got Democrats on one side who says everything's copacetic at the border. And Republicans will say, hey, it's like a sieve there 
People were coming to by the thousands. Let's start with <laughs> giggles. Vice President Harris, who a week ago said, why are you worrying? Our borders are secure. I think that there is no question that we have to do what the president and I asked Congress to do. Is the first request we made is a bill to create a pathway to citizenship. The border is secure, but we also have a broken immigration system, in particular over the last four years before we came in, and it needs to be fixed. We're going to have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix, given the deterioration that happened over the last four years. I wonder, is it a nervous laugh? Is it a nervous chortle? I always thought that of Hillary Rodham Clinton. Always thought that of Vice President <laughs> Dan Senator Harris. And, of course, Eric Adams, the swagger man who has proven again he's got no plan to deal with this issue or any other issue. But we'll get to him momentarily. Let's go to the spokesperson for Joe Biden, Corinne Jean-Pierre. The daughter of um, immigrants from Haiti. She grew up in Hempstead. In fact, uh, uh, when I was with um, Anthony Weiner last week, left versus right, three to four on Saturdays, he described how she had worked on his uh, his staff one year uh, as a public relations uh, point person and then ended up uh, leaving for a campaign uh, somewhere in the country involving Democrats. But here is Corinne Jean-Pierre. Speaking of uh, the DeSantis um, effort to send 50 um, illegal aliens from Texas on private jets to Martha's Vineyard, and they were from Venezuela. What I could say, and I've been very clear, uh, it is a political stunt. That's what we're seeing from governor, uh, governors, Republican governors in, in particular. And... Um, it is a cruel, inhumane way of treating uh, people who are fleeing communism, uh, people who are, who are uh, and we're not just talking about people, we're talking about children, we're talking about families uh, who are promised uh, a home, promised a job, put on a bus, and, uh, you know, driven to a place that they do not know. And it is a cruel thing to do. Oh, how cruel to go to Martha's Vineyard. And did you see the local people? They came out with signs and said, oh, you've made our day. Oh, we are a better group of people now because you were with us for two hours. But now pack your bags and get the hell out of here. Get on that bus. Go over to Cape Cod. Go deal with uh, uh, a number of other millionaires uh, who have uh, mansions there or nearby Nantucket, right? And then DeSantis, who came under fire, from the Democrat liberal progressives, although solidified his strength amongst Republicans and conservatives, said, hey, uh, I'm sending them out of Texas and Florida because we're not sanctuary states. 
people visiting here. We were the number one state for foreign tourism by far in 2021 for all U.S. tourism. But even people across the border, there's a lot that say they want to come to Florida. So our message is, you know, we're not a sanctuary state. Uh, we don't have benefits or, or any of that. There are some sanctuary jurisdictions, and that would be better. Now, what would be the best is for Biden to do his damn job and secure the border. Damn right. By the way, new stats came out in August. More people than ever before fled New York State, New York City for the Gator State, DeSantis land, better known as Freedom Land. And then DeSantis uh, said that, hey, if you're a sanctuary state or sanctuary city, you're the ones who should take care of these illegals. Biden would fly people in the middle of the night, dump them all across this country. There was no warning on any of this. And all those people in D.C. and New York were beating their chests when Trump was president, saying they were so proud to be sanctuary jurisdictions, saying how bad it was to have a secure border. The minute even a small fraction of what those border towns deal with every day is brought to their front door, they all of a sudden go berserk and they're so upset that this is happening and it just shows you you know their virtue signaling is a fraud and the most uh, berserk of all is our mayor eric adams the swagger man who has no plan by the way he was spotted entering club zero bond at approximately 11 50 11 50 on friday night it is now saturday morning so he has been in the club zero bond private club down in Soho, whatever happens at Zero Bond stays in Zero Bond, uh, and it is she-she private. That's where he gets wine, dined, and pocket line. But anyway, uh, Eric Adams went berserk because he says, we got a handle on it, but bad, bad DeSantis, bad, bad Abbott. This is a crisis. And during crises, there are two types of New Yorkers. There are those who play I got you, and stay on the outside and complain. And then there are those who roll up their sleeves and just get stuff done. That's who we are. And anyone who states that this administration does not have a handle on this crisis, they must have been sleeping under a rock. Yeah, well, I guess I must have been sleeping under a boulder because you, (laughs) Swagger Man, have no plan. I know, I know you have that chortle yourself, and it's because you're laughing at all of us. What fools we were to think that you were going to be the law and order mayor. You know, the former cop, 22 years. <laughs> and it turns out you were nothing but a house mouse. Everything that I had said in the campaign against you. But, hey, I know people, oh, they bought into that lock, stock, and barrel. So guess what? You stuck with him for another three years. It's going to have to get worse before it gets better. But remember, he was banging away on DeSantis, banging away on Abbott because they're GOP governors. But, oh, he was making love to the El Paso mayor. Uh, yeah, he was like two peas in a pot, a horse in a carriage, a soup in a sandwich because he was a Democratic mayor of El Paso on the border with Juarez. And, in fact, the El Paso mayor was saying, yeah, Eric Adams said, send me everyone you got. And we're very thankful to um, Mayor Adams from New York that, really stepped up to, to help us and you know he did tell me when i when i spoke with him that there's not a community there within new york from venezuela but uh he will welcome him into his community and then work with them to get them to a community where there is 
their peers so they can continue to be there, and that's really important to them. So think of that. There's nobody here in our New York City area to sponsor these Venezuelans. They have few, if any, contacts here. It's not a big uh, hotbed of Venezuelan activity. We're going to have 10,000 war-weary Ukrainians who will be accepted as war refugees. They all have to have sponsors, the old-fashioned way, like when uh, most of our grandparents or great-grandparents came here. Somebody had to vouch for them. Somebody had to show up at La Migra, Immigration and Naturalization Service, or at Ellis Island, and say that if they can't take care of themselves, if they can't find a place to stay and be self-sufficient, I, the sponsor, my family, uh, my company is going to have to take care of them. Why is it that's happening with the Ukrainians who are coming over? Who can clearly make the argument they need asylum, uh, leaving a war-weary country in which uh, Putin, we'll talk about him later, has said, this time I ain't kidding, I'll turn the Ukraine into a glass highway with atomic weapons. You can make a case you need asylum. Well, let me give you the, the troika, the trinity, the trifecta of Eric Adams, the mayor, the swagger man with no plan. Remember, first off, uh, Manhattan Bill Lee, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, excuse me. Uh, I, I expanded your territorial domain to all of Manhattan. But you probably uh, spent some time at the Milford Plaza, you know, when you had your groupies hanging outside at WCBS-FM. I mean, you were quite the... Uh, Quite the uh, the ladies' man. And the Milford Plaza was never top five-star top shelf, but it was never a no-tell, motel, Holiday Inn Express either. So it was on the verge of going bankrupt in June. Bank of America held the note, and the owners and operators were able to get a contract from the city that kept them afloat. And we, the sucker taxpayers, initially would have to spend $150 for room and board for the illegal aliens, 600 rooms, out of about 1,300 rooms they have there. Last week, the price went up to $500 a room. They're gouging us, us, the taxpayers, and this week they claim, oh, you know, with the United Nations in session, all the dictators, uh, uh, despots, and tyrants marching to the General Assembly, they raise the fee to $700 a room. We got to pay that. Remember, remember the old advertisement? Come on along, I'll take you to the lullaby of Broadway. Stay at the Milford Plaza Hotel with cocktail, dinner, and breakfast for $49.50 per person. Discover why we are the lullaby of Broadway. The Milford Plaza is the lullaby of Broadway. Uh, cocktail, dinner, and breakfast for $49.50 per person. Per person. Uh, that was low budget. Now it's $700 a room. For the 600 rooms that we're giving to the illegal aliens who have left Maduro land before that Hugo Chavez land in Venezuela and made their way through uh, snake and um, animal infested uh, jungles, disease infested jungles in order to cross the border. And the next thing you know, they were pounding the hound on the Greyhound bus, either being sent here by Abbott. Or, as the mayor of El Paso said, 20% of the people who showed up in the city said, hey, we want to go to Nueva York. 
we want to go to New York. We see on Telemundo, we see on Univision, uh, the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, wearing that nice suit. And he's giving out swag bags to all the Venezuelans, getting off the bus. And, man, they're putting them up in hotels. Man, it's a lot better than the other cities like D.C. or Chicago. And Martha's Vineyard, which said, oh, we loved you. We really do. You've made our life so special. But get the hell out of here. You've already spent too much time, two, three hours. Oh, we'll be dealing with Martha's Vineyard momentarily. So um, he's run out of hotel space. These are men and women, friends of Eric Adams and Crime Wave Kathy Holcomb, who own these properties. They're usually, oh, uh, corporations in which you really have to dig to find out who the owners and operators or the consortium is. But you better believe they're making money hand over fist. Then the next brilliant idea was to uh, take out a mothballs uh, in the Elephant's Graveyard, north of Fort Lauderdale, all the old cruise line ships that have been decommissioned, and they all stacked up there. In fact, this was Eric Adams, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the man with no plan, talking about a really dumb idea. We're examining everything from, uh, you know, the legality of using uh, any type of cruise ship for temporary housing. Uh, We're looking at everything to see how do we deal with this. How do we deal with this? (laughs) Yeah, recommission all these boats to the love boat. Who was that? Gopher? Remember Gopher was one of the key uh, persons in love boat who went on to become a congressman in Iowa where there are more pigs and people. And so now his latest uh, crazy idea is he has decided he's going to take the single able-bodied males, a thousand, and house them in a tent in the parking lot of Orchard Beach, a thousand. It'll take about a full month to get everything up and running. Now, if you happen to live in City Island, I'd love to hear from you as to whether you're going to make the drawbridge go up and stay up, because where else are these people going to go? What are they going to do? Walk around the tent, go to the beach, they'll be freezing their tuckers off soon. But you know they're going to see that bridge to City Island, and they're going to want to walk over there and walk around. Wouldn't you? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. If you happen to be living in the vicinity of City Island, give me a call at 1-800-848-WABC. But I think uh, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, our telephone uh, talent coordinator, I believe there's a back way into City Island, not just over the bridge or by boat. I think if you take the hutch, you'll see a sign that says Orchard Beach. And then there's a back road in, I think, not quite sure. So if there are any of you codgers out there in uh, City Island or you know uh of the back road in, that's the one that the illegal aliens are probably going to be able to figure out and then hustle their way into City Island because they'll have nothing else to do all day long. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Then Rodman's Neck, the firing range is right there. That's where the cops go to take target practice, and sometimes the bomb squad will bring uh, what they think is a bomb and blow it up. Boy, I saw that truck around here all during the march of the dictators, despots, and tyrants. You know, as this place was flooded with cops, 
You won't see those kind of cops in the neighborhoods or even in Manhattan on a regular day. Crime would go down to zip if, in fact, the city would actually do that. But, oh, they were here, and they're going to continue to be here until the final gavel of the march of the despots, dictators, and tyrants, including the Iranian president, Raisa. We'll be talking about him, lady boy. I was really impressed with a lot of the Iranians here, a lot of the Persians who are from Great Neck and parts of New Jersey, were driving around these uh, lit-up trucks, which showed the faces of 30,000, mostly young Iranians, who were either put into the gulag there because they're political dissidents or executed by the Ayatollahs. It really an extraordinarily uh, extraordinary display. I, I was very impressed at how they were able to convey their message. And so naturally, what did the... Uh, President of Iran do when he got before the General Assembly, he held up a picture of Suleiman, who, if you remember, on the orders of then-President Trump, he had blasted to smithereens outside of the airport in Baghdad as he was going to his private Learjet. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The Milford Plaza Hotel with cocktail, dinner, and breakfast for $49.50 per person. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. There I was at the immigration scene. And again, ladies and gentlemen, I ask a simple question. If we are accepting the 10,000 war-weary Ukrainians into our city, but they have to have sponsors in advance... Why is there a double standard by our southern border where people are able to come in like these Venezuelans with no sponsors whatsoever? No sponsors whatsoever. You know who's sponsoring them? All of us suckers. We're paying for them. So what did Eric Adams uh, say earlier today? He said, oh, this is sort of like when COVID hit. I expect about 75,000, 75,000 to come into our city. And then he says, we had a hospital in Central Park during COVID. Yeah, you set up a tent in Central Park with these illegals. <laughs> yeah, 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 wait a second. Isn't that where they're having that Global Citizen Festival tomorrow? You know, Metallica, the Jonas Brothers. Have they, have they finally admitted that they were never celibates to begin with? Oh, the diva of all divas, Mariah Kelly. Oh, probably Deepak Chopra, you know, just uh, for the Trendoids freakers. Can you imagine if they put up a tent right there once this concert leaves tomorrow? <laughs> you think the people who live along Central Park are going to be that accepting of it, Eric Adams, you schmuck? By the way, during COVID, the Billy Graham crusade put up the tents, brought in the doctors and the nurses, and there were protests against them because... 
the Democrat liberal progressives were upset because they were holy rollers. And they don't believe in homosexuality. So they wanted them to pack up their tents and leave. And even Comrade Bill de Blasio had to say, whoa, he can't do that. We need them here. And then once they were finished, get the hell out of here. Pack your tents up. Go to North Carolina. Didn't even say thank you. And then Eric Adams said, well, we had the hospital boat. What is what is schmuck? That was from the Navy. That was the hope. The United States Navy is not going to send in the most sophisticated floating hospital in the world to our port to take care of the illegal aliens. Although, Papa Chulo, Joe Biden, who's your daddy? He might do that. This guy's out of his mind. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, is he weird. (laughs) He had a weird stay in New York City. I saw him. I actually saw him. The White House pool reporter indicated. And uh, by himself, halfway down uh, one of the east side blocks, it was the infamous Curtis Sliwa and his burgundy beret. Burgundy, it's red, you idiots. It's always been red. But anyway, the point being is all the people were piled up on the corners because they wanted to get a... Uh, look at the beast, you know, where the president was in as he left his hotel. I'm not going to stand on the corner. I went right to the middle of the block. Nobody was there except the doorman. It was drizzling. He said, why don't you get under the canopy? I said, hey, a man's man doesn't get under a canopy. Uh, a girly, girly man does. And I actually saw the president. He was on his cell phone. And he seemed a little, a little titch to watch as he passed by. You didn't think I waved, right? But I didn't flip him the bird either. But anyway, uh, back, uh, I digress here. So, now I'm going to ask all of you out there, the councilwoman who represents that area in and around Orchard Beach, her name is uh, Marjorie Velasquez, she wants additional police assigned to the various precincts, the 45th, the 47th, the 49th. Now, do you think she wants them there because she doesn't trust the young male Venezuelans, or she doesn't trust that her constituents, especially from Castle Hill, ought to go in there and beat the living daylights out of those Venezuelans, right? <laughs> Soundview, Castle Hill, charge! Uh, she didn't quite explain that. And now, get this, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, is asking $500 million from Papa Chulo, Joe Biden. Now, Joe Biden was here, right? I'm sure Eric Adams uh, could have met with him briefly and said, man, I need half a billion, man, because our, our finances are going to be depleted by this surge of illegals. In fact, we got a $10 billion deficit upcoming in 2023 that's going to bankrupt us. Uh, so far, no word from Washington. No word from Albany. It's all on us, the taxpayers of the five boroughs. Although I did hear a good suggestion uh, earlier from uh, Lydia Serrani, co-host of uh, the Roundtable Discussion at Five with John Katsimatidis, as to what to do with the illegal aliens. She suggested that they be put up in the empty office buildings, of which we have many. Fifty percent of the office buildings in Manhattan are unoccupied. I want to add an addendum to that. How about the Hudson Yards? You know, it's like a ghost town over there. You go towards the Jacob Javits Center. Uh, I think there's like one one occupied building, CNN. 
So put it over there. Yeah. Nice brand new apartments. I mean, they're not going to be able to lease them. They're not going to be able to rent them out. They're not going to be able to sell those condos. So turn it into immigration land, right? Just concerned as far as the amount of people, how they're going to be treated, and how it's going to affect the islanders. That's not our problem. That's not our problem. We're paying taxes here. What are we paying here? Can you imagine that? We'll call that immigration land. I know the guy named Ross. I hate that guy. He owns the complex. We'll call the Hudson Yards immigration land. Imagine they'll see pictures of that in Venezuela, in Peru, Bolivia, Colombia, and they'll say, we're all coming to New York. <laughs> yeah, I know Eric Adams swagman. By the way, Eric Adams uh, awarded $34 million to his cronies in contracts to help the homeless amid this uh, illegal alien influx. I happen to look at some of these nonprofits. All friends of Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, and crime wave Kathy Holcomb, uh, they've all made substantial donations to their uh, election campaigns and to the various uh, PACs that they run. Did you happen to see them as they were getting off the bus just yesterday? They had freaking iPhones, smartphones, and they were taking selfies, uh, both in New York and in Texas, before they boarded the buses to New York. And they were saying, oh, we can't wait to get to New York City. In fact, some of these illegal aliens, while busting across the border, were breaking into farmhouses, trying to seek sanctuary. And with uh, armed, uh, I'll call them posse comotares, armed citizens, trapped them in one farmhouse. Uh, They said they were trying to get to New York. So Eric Adams is saying, none of these people want to come to New York. They were forced on the buses. They had no choice. Now, where would you want to spend? Eagle Pass, Texas. Or would you want to come to New York, right? Amarillo, have you ever been out Odessa, Texas? Man, I've been out that way on the way to El Paso. Man, it's nothing but prairie, sagebrush, and a hell of a lot of cattle. You start walking around out there. You're like knee-deep in cow dung. Who the hell would want to be in that part of Texas? Unless you were uh, like uh, Bush Bush 41 was. Remember, what do they call him? A wildcatter. Remember, went down there, Connecticut, uh, a Connecticut wasp. And he wanted to find his fortune as a wildcatter, sticking those uh, shafts down in the ground and hoping he'd get that black uh, gold. You know, like uh, Jed Clampett said for the Beverly Hillbillies, when he shot into the ground, said, ooh, black gold. Yeah, Texas tea. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Michael in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Yeah, this nonsense that this moron of a mayor that New York has saying that he wants to to put them in, in, in tents. Tents are only good when the weather is okay. When the winter comes, New York City is going to have to build hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of homeless shelters. They're, New York City is going to become the homeless shelter capital of the United States with this moron. And you know what's going to happen? Whatever people can leave New York are going to leave. What will be left in the city is what's like in Baltimore. New York is dead and buried. Well, I, I got to tell you, you got to be listening tomorrow. I have the idea. 
Tomorrow, same time, same place. You see, I don't just knock the swagger man with no plan, although, trust me, every chance I get, I do it. Uh, but I try to come up with creative solutions. Now, this was a solution. I'm surprised nobody's come up with it. It was used before, right after the war. The men returning, there was no housing for them and their families. In many of the universities, they had the GI loan, but they didn't have housing for students who had to, uh, a lot of the uh, veterans had to go to out to uh, Iowa where there are more pigs and people, Iowa University, Iowa State. And they used a particular kind of dwelling that really wasn't that hard to put up. Kept them warm. Well, not to- not warm and toasty, but did the trick. And my dad told me all about it when he came back after the war uh, as a merchant mariner. And I actually was in some of these facilities. Now, I've given, I've given you every clue in the world. If you happen to know what I'm going to be uh, doing a complete diatribe tomorrow about as a remedy to this, since we're going to be stuck with these illegal aliens, since every Democrat is out there welcoming them at the Port Authority when they come in with a swag bag that we're paying for. Give a call, 1-800-848-9222. This will be the first Curtis Sliwa booby prize of this morning as I take you to the break of dawn. 1-800-848-9222. What is it that I'm referring to? Let's go to Richie out in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Richie Rich. Curtis, the magic word is Quonset Yes, you are completely correct. And tomorrow I will give a complete structural breakdown as to how if we had to house them, that would be the best kind of a facility set up. No, I have a better idea. Oh, a better idea. Okay. The Army is down to a half a million guys. Mm-hmm. Gulf War 91, 19 combat divisions. Gulf War 2, 2003, 10 combat divisions. Where did they go? The Cold War was over. There are a be- there are closed military bases out there. They are towns. They have tons of housing. They have tons of food service facilities. They have health care facilities. They're surrounded by a nice big fence. They're in isolated locations. They have tons of room for expansion. Give these people who should be referred to as refugees, political and economic, a choice. Go to the refugee camp or go back. Now, hold on a second. What about, wait, you left one choice out. What about the Milford Plaza? Well, it doesn't help New York. But, I mean, there are a lot of military clothes. Hold on a second, Rich. What a great commercial this is. Listen to the commercial first. Stay at the Milford Plaza Hotel with cocktail, dinner, and breakfast for $49.50 per person. Cocktail, dinner, and breakfast, $49.50. It started at $150 a room when they first came, Rich. They've now price gouged us $700 a room at the Milford Plaza, $700 a room. Very predictable, yeah. But putting these people on army bases, I mean, where did they move the people from Arthur's Vineyard? They put them on the ferry, they moved them back to the mainland, and they moved them into Otis Air Force Base. Mm. There are abandoned Air Force bases out there. They don't need as many needed... There's a big base up in Rome, New York, Griffiths Air Force Base. Used to be a sack base with B-52s, closed. 
that closed a lot of stuff. Now, some of these places have been repurposed with the local municipalities, but not all of them. So are you suggesting possibly part of Stewart Air Force Base up in Orange County in Newburgh, uh, much of which is not used the last time it was used other than as a a uh, a tarmac uh, for commercial aircraft, uh, was for the failed Woodstock uh, 1999, which was a complete disaster? Well, Stewart Air Force Base has a lot of National Guard units on it. But most military bases like this, are underutilized. They may not be closed, but they are underutilized and have plenty of vacant space. You could probably get stuff started in there right away. Excellent, excellent. Excellent idea, Rich. Stay on the line. Avery, uh, utilize your phenomenal phenomenal, uh, wardrobe of talents to make sure that Rich gets his Curtis Lee will booby prize. I don't want to hear from Rich a month from now, you know, telling me, oh, I'm still waiting for my freaking hat. The WABC baseball cap that has the logo on it, the real other side of midnight, the Curtis Sliwa other side of midnight. Please take care, Richie. I I don't want to be embarrassed. When we come back, there was a group, Broadway Billy, that was waiting with bated breath. They had their balloons. They had their signs. They came with food. They came with swag bags. There's a Teterboro in New Jersey. When when we come back, New Jersey did not accept their fair share. I am so disappointed in the Garden State, and especially to what occurred at Teterboro Airport the other day. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. You know, uh, this should be the theme song for so many of the illegals coming in, right? They should be humming it on the bus as they pound the hound towards New York City, created by a foreigner, a Frenchman, uh, as a gift to America during the disco era. I remember being on the dance floor for many, many songs. I don't remember any disco songs being patriotic. Imagine. It had to be done by a Frenchman, Patrick Jouvet. That's why I say the hell to the English. The hell to the queen, the king. God don't save them. Destroy the monarchy. I would much prefer to focus on the French who uh, helped us beat the British so that we didn't have to bow to the Union Jack and uh, curtsy to the king of the queen. Uh, Also gave us the gift of the Statue of Liberty, which is in our harbor. Although some of you don't like the words on it, uh, give me your tired, your poor, your indigent, uh, you know, <laughs> you don't appreciate that. And actually, this classic by Patrick Jouvet should be required that all the illegal aliens sing this, you know, like B-I-N-G-O, 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 and Vigo was his name. You know, like when we were on the school bus going to day camp. I remember I was going to day camp for like a week in Coney Island. It was like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, with the good humor sticks 
and the Elmer's glue, you know, trying to put together Fort Apache. What a waste of my time. And then the freaking camp counselor on the school bus every day, let's sing again, B-I-N-G-O, B-I-N-G-O, and bingo, what's his name? Oh, my God. Couldn't wait to get out of that day camp. Couldn't wait to get off that bus. But anyway, think of this. It was a group of people so desperate to share in this experience of welcoming the illegals like so many show up each day for the five, six, seven buses in which the illegal aliens pound the Greyhound from Texas. They had gotten word that the same airline that had flown the 50 50, uh, folks from Venezuela from Texas to Martha's Vineyard was in fact engaged in a flight to Teterboro Airport. Same airport that was infamous for all the flights on the Lolita Express that Jeffrey Epstein had uh, for the likes of uh, Bill Gates, Donald Trump, oh, yeah, Bill Clinton, and, of course, Prince Andrew, the pedophile on a pedestal. I say we're going off to Pedophile Island right next to the British Virgin Islands. But anyway, I digress. So there was like 33 of them. Waiting outside of the gates, sitting in their cars, saying any minute that plane will touch the tarmac and we're going to come out with our balloons and our signs. Welcome. We love you. We love you illegals from Venezuela. Mi casa, you a casa, whatever the hell that Spanish phrase is. <laughs> so there are 30 of them. They're all excited. This is the most important moment in their life. They see the plane. It's the plane. And, in fact, somebody tells them it's the plane. The plane. The plane. The plane. The plane. The plane. So a tattoo from Fantasy Island made an appearance to give it an official stamp of approval. No Ricardo Montalban, because, remember, he only catered to the rich on Fantasy Island. Con. Only tattoo. When each guest is paying $50,000 for a three-day stay on Fantasy Island, he or she deserves miracles. Right, boss. That's why Ricardo said, no, I'm not getting out of my grave to welcome a bunch of illegal aliens. I deal only with the rich and wealthy. I'll leave it to Tattoo. Could I hear Tattoo again? So they're all for touch. They're all excited. These are mostly college-age uh, kids, Generation XYZ, the lost generation. And the plane lands. The pilot, the co-pilot, the stewardess gets off, and that's it. There's no illegal aliens. <laughs> they were so disappointed. But it reminded me, like, New Jersey is not doing its fair share. I mean, we're, we're overwhelmed here. We're going to put the freaking illegal aliens in tents at Orchard Beach, right? Just concerned as far as the amount of people, how they're going to be treated, and how it's going to affect the island. That's not our problem. That's not our problem. We're paying taxes here. What are we paying here? And in Jersey, they pay big property taxes. But uh, Steve Fullop, the mayor of Jersey City, thinks he's going to become the next governor because uh, everyone who becomes governor of late has to be a graduate of Goldmine Saxon. He he was. 
Uh, why doesn't he invite them over to Liberty State Park? It's right there, right? Lots of room. We'll put up a big tent there. Hey, share it. Notice, no offers from anybody in Jersey. Ras Baraka, Weekway Park. Although there, you would need security. You would need to keep them in a fence because his homies would be like picking them clean like uh, a carcass in the Mojave Desert. And what about half in the bag Murphy? How come half in the bag Governor Murphy isn't reaching his hands across the Hudson and saying, you know, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, you're doing a great thing. Well, let, uh, let us do some of the heavy lifting. You know, we could bring him to Patterson, up the hill, down the hill, first ward, fourth ward. Man, they've never seen anything like that. No, no offers. None of them are from Connecticut, not from Bridgeport, not from Hartford, not from South Norwalk, Norwalk. What happened? All these liberal progressive cities, they don't want to take some of these illegal aliens? Come on. Philadelphia. Oh, no, if you're an illegal alien, you ain't. You don't want to go to Philadelphia. But I have a suggestion. If you've been to some of the smaller cities, speaking of Philadelphia, it's sort of like... Uh, the butt cheeks to Philadelphia, Chester, and Camden across the Delaware River. There's no people there. I mean, they've evacuated. That would be a great place for the illegals. The other place, Harvey, Illinois, right north of Chicago. It's crime infested. Let me tell you, it's a small city that is in need of population. Uh, East St. Louis, across from St. Louis, uh, that was the only city I ever went to. I never saw illegal aliens there because, man, even they couldn't make a go of it there. Benton Harbor, Michigan, on your way to Indiana, on one side is St. Joseph. It's fairly prosperous. And Benton Harbor used to have the factories for Frigidaire, Whirlpool. It's now a ghost town. That would be perfect. And a lot of smaller cities. East Palo Alto, you know how Palo Alto in which you have all the uh, the Zuckermans of the world, you know, those involved in Google, Twitter, uh, you know, all the um, what, we, what we call the brainiacs there who think they're better than everybody else. That's in Palo Alto on one side of the interstate. You go to East Palo Alto on the other side, which is called Little Nairobi. It's one square mile of Samoans, Tongans, African-Americans, and Cholos and Vatos. How do I know? Because as guardian angels, we patrol there. And, man, we had to be banging with those gangs there. That would be a perfect place. I mean, a little pockets, these smaller cities that have been crime-ridden. Newburgh, the Camden on the Hudson. I know a lot of you people are listening right now said, please, please, we already have enough illegal aliens here. Well, they do. But you can use more. Right along Broadway. Come on. Everybody has to do their part. Why are we having to accept what Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan, said could be upwards of 75,000 illegal aliens when it's all said and done? There are not enough tents in the world to... Well, wait a second. There was, uh, what was that, the Big Apple Circus? They had the big tent. I remember taking my two smaller sons, uh, Carter and Hunter, to the Big Apple Circus in uh, Cunningham Park in Queens. That's it. We'll put them in Cunningham Park. You all have a heart attack. Yeah, no, no, not not near Cunningham Park in Queens. Put them at Orchard Beach in the parking lot. Up goes the gate on the bridge, the drawbridge to City Island. <laughs> They're not going to want them there at the Lobster House, Lobster Box, whatever the hell you call it. But up next, a man who pissed 
The illegals from Venezuela. Very disappointing. Very disappointing. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. kind of music you expect to hear in a few hours when Vinnie Madunio, the Staten Island kid, takes over the microphone in our block of entertainment. Vinnie Madunio on from five to six. He's the protege of Cousin Brucie, his mentor, who's on from six to ten. Cousin Brucie would, would play the Shirelles here, right, uh, Broadway Bill Lee? But I think also Tony Orlando without Dawn, he's on from 10 to 12. And then I'm back to do it all over again, and nobody's going to sleep on me to the break of dawn, 12 to 6, Saturday mornings, which you're listening to now, and also Sunday mornings. The reason I'm playing this Shirelles classic is that's what the illegal aliens must have been saying when they landed in Martha's Vineyard. Some of those rich uh, McWhitey Whiteys showed up with their signs, you know, Sua Casa, Mia Casa, something like that. Balloons, flowers. Oh, you made such a difference in our lives. And then all of a sudden it was, okay, uh, the pleasure was ours. You had an Utatsu de Cafe, a little cup of coffee, Bustello or El Pico. Now get the hell out of here. And they sent the National Guard in, put them on the buses, and the next thing you know, they were on their way to Cape Cod. So you got to believe that some of these illegals are probably singing this Shirelles tune in their mind. But will the folks of Martha's Vineyard love us tomorrow? Did they just placate us, patronize us for a few hours and said it made such a difference in their lives? Or did they really feel like, okay... Uh, three hours is up. Now get the hell out of here. Yeah, I think that's the way it was. And one of those people who has the McMansions out there, because they're all McMansions. As you know, Barack and Michelle Obama live out there. Spike Lee, 40 acres and a mule. The Dersh, that's right, Dersh was, lives out there. Although, boy, let me tell you something. <laughs> uh, Dersh. Uh, apparently he was, uh, best friends of, uh, why are they calling him Larry Davis, right? I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about, Seinfeld. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Larry Davis? That's the guy who shot at all the cops in, in South Bronx. And then all of a sudden he was a hero. Larry, Larry. When they pulled him out from under that garbage container in the projects a few blocks away. No, no, no. It's a, why am I going to... What, what, what am I... How much am I do for the deficit this year? God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Oh, God. I'm having a Joe Biden moment, maybe first wave of Alzheimer's, first wave of uh, dementia. 
you know, Seinfeld, uh, you know, HBO. <laughs> Do I read that? <laughs> That's right. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, man. Well, anyway. Uh, what's his name, Larry? Had a show <laughs> on HBO. Still does. What is that? The other side of midnight. What's the name of that show anyway? No, no, oh, that's Frank Morano, and then there's uh, my version of the other side of midnight. See, I'm all confused here now. Um, your enthusiasm needs to be curbed. I think that's the name of the show. Your enthusiasm. You know what we do with the deficit this year. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Come on, Avery, throw me a lifeline here. I mean, I know you don't watch the McWhitey Whitey shows, although this. This particular show, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, right? That's it, Curb Your Enthusiasm, has Leon as the black character. So that means you watch it, Avery, right? Isn't it Larry Davis? Am I right about that? Yes, Larry David. (laughs) Oh, Larry David. That's right. Larry Davis... Became Abdul Hakim was in the wheelchair, was up there, I think, at Wendy's Correctional Facility. What kind of a correctional facility is called Wendy's? Or Danmar, I, uh, Attica, I don't know, one of those joints. Wendy's? Who, who would ever call a correctional facility Wendy's? And by the way, when Larry Davis was there for shooting at all those cops, although they found them innocent in the Bronx, naturally, because... Cops wear blue and they're not Crips. So he was exonerated of that. He was found guilty of killing drug dealers and for running guns. But what prison was Larry Davis? Hmm. Larry. Yeah, Larry Davis. That's right. (laughs) And when he was in the wheelchair, he became Abdul Hakim. And a uh, Puerto Rican guy killed him. Stuck him a few times with the shift. If you happen to know that, you're going to get a courtesy with Booby Prize. 1-800-848-9222. No doubt one of our many listeners who's already done time when you were an inmate, now under Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, her big claim to fame is she signed legislation a month ago that now renames them incarcerated persons. Can I call them inmates? Well, I could, uh, Larry Davis, because he died an inmate. He wasn't an incarcerated person yet. 1-800-848-9222. And we have a lot of guys who've done time, and quite a few who were screws and correctional officers, no doubt, who may have known what prison he got shanked in, in the wheelchair, when he was claiming that everybody was abusing his rights, COs, the CIA, criminals in action. Yeah, we'll be talking about them later on, the CIA. I mean, it's a panoply of things that Larry Davis claimed. Not Larry David. He couldn't have survived one day in prison upstate. He would have definitely been somebody's Maytag, that's for sure. 1-800-848-9222. They would have been saying, hey, Larry David, butt buddy time, come on over. Yeah, he would have made a funny episode about it, though. Yes, he would have. Yeah. But he made a funny episode about your peeps. Hey, Reed, I don't know how you reacted to that or to you, Broadway Bill Lee, on loan from WCBS-FM. Remember he made that show called The Black Family, because that was their name. And he and his wife Cheryl, being the very liberal, progressive types of persons that they are, and they have their McMansion on Martha's Vineyard, 
invited the black family to come live with them because they had survived Katrina, the hurricane, and they had nowhere to go. And remember there was that scene where Larry David uh, and his wife Cheryl welcomed the black family. That was really their last name, the black family, although they were all black. Loretta Black. Hi, Larry. Yeah. Hi. Hi this is my Auntie Ray. Hello. Hi, I'm These Larry. These are my kids, Keisha and Daryl. Keisha and Daryl. So, so let me see. Your last, your last name is Black. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's like if my last name was, was Jew, like Larry Jew. Because I'm Jewish. Well, we really yeah. do appreciate y'all letting us stay with you. We, we really, really do. do. Yeah. 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 We appreciate that. Yeah. No, but don't you no, see? Because no, you're, you're black. And... No, no. Right. Okay. You got you got Oh, well, thank you. All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate. Really do appreciate. Now, notice that was like white and black together. That was like Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney, right? Ebony and Ivory. I mean, it was it was perfect, right? This what this is what we strive for. But then Leon, who was the uncle who came to visit the black family, being black himself, decided that because uh, it was, as it is now with Russia, China, the Jewish New Year starting Sunday, to be followed by Yom Kippur, the most solemn of all holidays, that Leon felt that he wanted to, what can we say, accommodate Larry uh, David and claim that he was Jewish. I was adopted by some lovely Jews. <laughs> and you were bar mitzvah? Oh, yeah, yeah. Three times. The last time was a few months ago in Atlantic City. Yeah, but I thought you only got bar mitzvah once. You know, no, no, when no, you're no. 13 years old. No, 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 no. You misunderstood. What? It's once every 13 years. You know? You got to recharge the mitzvah. So you always keep your mitzvah kind of full. Like capacity. Capacity. Uh, uh, mitzvah. Capacity. I learned something today. My middle son, Carter, recently had his bar mitzvah. So according to this, in another 13 years, there's going to be another bar mitzvah. And then Hunter, he's got two years to go to his bar mitzvah. Not on our mind. By the way, uh, when you saw that episode, uh, episode, Avery, did Leon pull it off that he was uh, a Jew or he fell flat? What do you think, Avery? Well, um, I don't think he was really trying to be a traditional Jew. So I think he pulled it off. So he was a black Hebrew Israelite, those crazy guys who stand there in Times Square and scream that you're a fake Jew, you're a fugazi Jew, and we hate white devils, right? Yeah, something like that. It was obvious he was just trying to get the benefits. Okay, all right. But I was adopted by some lovely Jews. (laughs) And you were bar mitzvah? Oh, yeah, yeah, three times. The last time was a few months ago in Atlantic City. Yeah, but I thought you only got bar mitzvah once, you know, no, no, when no, you're no. 13 years old. No, 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 no. You misunderstood. What? It's once every 13 years, you know? You got to recharge the mitzvah. So you always keep your mitzvah kind of full. Like capacity. Capacity. Uh, uh, mitzvah. Capacity. See, I did not know that. But then the real Leon came out because as he had befriended Larry David, they were really starting to get along. Again, it was like Ebony and Ivory, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. They were sitting, they were joking, they were having a great old time. You know, try to stay away from race, try to stay away from uh, religion. Well, boy, they were getting along. I mean, they really do get along, right, Avery? I mean, you have to admit, Leon and 
Larry David really do get it on there. And uh, what is the name of that show on HBO? Curb Your Enthusiasm. Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's the perfect relationship. Larry got so much money, he don't even care. And and Leon is looking for somebody to take care of him. It's the perfect relationship. All right, now, problem was the relationship broke down when Leon was trying to teach Larry David how to scam CDs. Remember the Columbia Warehouse, you know, used to order albums and then never pay them. And, you know, then they used to threaten to, to take it for bankruptcy. They do that with CDs. So Leon was explaining to Larry how to get over like a fat rat and that this is what he does regularly in the hood. She asked some questions. You answer some questions. And then you start asking him the questions and you flip it. Now he's trying to impress you. Turn that shit on him. Turn it around on him. Topsy turvy that mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why you got no credit cards? Got no credit cards at all? Why do you have a credit card, sir? You have no credit cards? Huh? Why do you order these CDs out of those magazines and you, and you sit them next door to the, the neighbor and then the UPS guy comes, you pick them up like you live there? Why you, is that? You keep ordering CDs that you don't pay for? I'm just saying. Examples. How to turn that shit out on his ass, you know what I mean? Specific uh, shit, though. I don't know. It might not be such a good idea. Now, Avery, does that work? Does that work? You know, ordering those CDs and then sending them to your neighbor's house and then just snatching the package when uh, when it gets delivered. Well, man, I haven't like CDs has been I haven't been out in, you know in circulation for a while, but it seems like it could work. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently that was the straw that broke Leon's back in terms of the relationship. <laughs> so, in the foyer of the McMansion on Martha's Vineyard. Larry David is talking to his wife, Cheryl, and he's so mad at Leon because he's trying to get over on the company that he describes him with the N-bomb. And some of the family members, the black family members, they're on the, they're looking over the balcony and they hear this and they go absolutely out of their minds. We don't know. But we're going to get the hell out of here. You could stay with us. Thank you, Thank baby. You, That's what you, Larry, with your monkey ass. That's right. Yo, Keisha, we getting the hell out of here. Come on, y'all. Get the hell out of here. Look how you do how you do. Didn't quite work out. <laughs> Uh, sayonara. We don't know. But we're going to get the hell out of here. You could stay with us. Thank, Thank you, you baby. Thank appreciate you. That. You, Larry, with your monkey ass. That's right. Yo, Keisha, we getting the hell out of here. Come on, y'all. Get the hell out of here. Look how you do how you do. Sexy ass, Susie. You, Larry. Peace. Uh. Although that one white neighbor came to the rescue. You saw that, Avery? She stepped in. She said, oh, you can come over and stay at our McMansion. I, for, I forgot he liked Susie in the beginning. I forgot about that. Yeah, you see? Yeah. You forgot. It, but it's worth watching a Mc, McWhitey-Whitey show like that, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Well, yeah. I mean, that's why he brought Leon on. And he, Leon is now a fixture on that show, oh, right? double fixture. Yep. And he's from Mount Vernon. All right. That's right. He's a comedian from Mount Vernon. I forget what his name is, but he was a success there. 
I guess Larry David discovered him and JB, incorporated him to JB, JB Smooth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. JB yeah. Smooth. <laughs> I was adopted by some lovely Jews. <laughs> and you were bar mitzvah? Oh, yeah, yeah. Three times. The last time was a few months ago in Atlantic City. Yeah, but I thought you only got bar mitzvah once. You know, no, no, when no, no, you're no. 13 years old. No, 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 no. You misunderstood. What? It's once every 13 years. You know? You got to recharge the mitzvah. So you always keep your mitzvah kind of full. Like capacity. Capacity. Uh, uh, mitzvah. Capacity. Yeah, I learned something here. Old Testament. You now, my son's uh, Carter, 13, bar mitzvah this year. So when he's 26, he gets bar mitzvah again. Hunter's got two years to go. He's 11. So then another 13 years. Man, I'm never going to be able to die. I'm going to have to work forever. You know how much a bar mitzvah is? And a bat mitzvah, too? If they happen to be non-binary and all of a sudden, well, I don't know if I'm a girl or a boy. So, Daddy, I want a bar mitzvah and a bat mitzvah just to cover both ends. Hey, if the if the quantity goes up, the quality has to start coming down. Oh. <laughs> One of them might be at McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> no, I got to tell you, all three of my sons, including the oldest son, Anthony, who's an intern here, 18, just graduated high school, always flashes his high school graduation ring at me, said, you don't have one, Daddy. They kicked you out of high school. I said, yep, the Jesuits shine their boots on my backside at Brooklyn Prep. By the way, closed the same year that they kicked me out. Right there in Crown Heights, it's now Medgar Evers College. And I got to tell you, having gone back to Medgar Evers, the subjects that were being taught to me in freshman and sophomore year by the Jesuits at Brooklyn Prep, the priests, the brothers, the lay teachers, were ten times harder than what the kids, young adults, now learn at Medgar Evers, which is part of the city university system of New York. By the way, a booby prize here. Who was the chancellor recently of Medgar Evers College, who originally had been in charge of the Board of Education of the City of New York under my Kumbadicic, Rudy Giuliani, and then had a falling out with him, and then sided with Al Slim Shady Sharpton of the National Action Network, uh, the nemesis, of Mike Kumbadi Cheech, Rudy Giuliani, huh? huh? Yeah, you see? I ask you, hey, it's a good booby price here. You got to strain the brain. We don't ask those dumb questions that Frank Morano does on, what is that, $1,000 you could win in one minute if you get 10 answers right? And, I mean, they're like special ed questions, the most moronic questions I've ever heard. 4.30 in the morning, the other side of his midnight, 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert, who's calling from Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Robert. Good morning, Curtis. Pleasure to hear you on the radio. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Okay. I smell a rat. Now, when you say you smell a rat, is it a four-legged rat or a two-legged rat? It's a two-legged one. Explain. Explain. You know how the uh, American Marxists are all about? Counties in our midst? How about these people, the illegal immigrants that are from these communist countries, 
are planned to become agitators later on. I heard some alarming statistics about these kinds of people. They make up 7% of the population, but 25% of them commit crimes later on. You don't want to accept your fair share out there, do you, Robin? Come on. You got plenty of illegal aliens. They live out in those forested areas. They do day labor, and they work at those McMansions out in the Hamptons. Come on, Robert. You could, you could take a few more. Those are the honest ones. Now, now hold on. Say. How do you quantify them as being honest? They want to work, and they work hard for trying to make a living and support their families. All right, well, what, what makes you think that in this case, the majority being the Venezuelans, are not going to work hard? There's just too many from these communist countries coming here. It never was like that before, Curtis. Well, look, the Cubans, the Cubans have kept coming uh, by rickety rafts as often as they can through the uh, shark-infested waters that separate them from Florida. You have the Haitians, the Haitians who likewise do the same. Uh, Most of them that I've run across, Cubans and Haitians, you know, the immigrants, uh, the illegals, man, they bust their butt. They work hard. Yes. There's no vetting of these people now. i tell you what we do. This is how you vet them. See, Robert, you got to understand, you do it right down at the border before you even let them in from Mexico. Uh, First off, for the young adult males, you throw gang signs at them. If they're a hardcore gangbanger and you're giving them their gang sign, it is through their rite of passage that they must throw the gang sign back or they're weak. You see, they never thought of doing that. Number two. You put a soccer ball there. If they kick that ball across the border, I don't want them here. We got enough people playing soccer here in the United States, but some of them can't play soccer. And then the third part of it is this. You hold up a picture of Hugo Chavez and Maduro, and if all of a sudden they genuflect and bow and applaud, then you say you can't come in. How about that? How about that, Robert? They're letting them just walk in. Take their name, and that could be false, and they go wherever. <sighs> you know, you know, Robert. You know, Robert. That's not our problem. We paying taxes here. What are we paying here? You know, Robert. At one time in Venezuela, when they would have the Miss World International Contest, remember Trump ran a few of those. The winners almost inevitably were from Venezuela. It was the wealthiest nation in all of South America, wealthier than Brazil, wealthier than Argentina. Argentina is always on the cusp of bankruptcy. Why? Because there's so many Italians there in Argentina. And look how far that that country. By the way, baseball players. I mean, think of it. If not for Venezuela, if not for Cuba, if not for the DR, Less and less from uh, Puerto Rico. Used to be a lot that would come up from um, Venice, uh, excuse me, from Panama. Not as many as they used to. Almost nobody. Curacao, yeah, a few. If not for all of those uh, immigrants playing baseball, you wouldn't be able to field a baseball team. When 
I went to see the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, uh, owned by John Katsimatidis and Margot Katsimatidis. It's like almost three-quarters of the team are from the DR, the Dominican Republic. That's minor league baseball. And then coming in, they were playing the Lancaster Bonburners. I never knew so many Amish were Dominicans. My God, the whole team from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, were Dominicans. Remember there was that point there in the um, softball game when we were playing against the NYPD, the ringers uh, that were had joined the 4-4 monsters from the uh, Sing Sing prison team. And they wouldn't show me their badges. Everybody else did. I'm not showing you my stinking badge, those ringers. Staten Island. We are a borough born for baseball. Of little league moments and shots heard around the world. A close-knit community defined by our passion for sports, our commitment to family, and an attitude all our own. From the Green Belt to the Harbor, the Verrazano to the Ferry, South Shore to North Shore, Mid-Island to the Mount, generations of heroes. We rise up in times of need. Frontline responders always there to help a neighbor. And now, a new superhero arrives on the island. It's time to soar, Staten Island. We are the Ferry Hawks. Oh, God. That's so exaggerated. Anyway, I just want to know the other night, Thursday night, for the charity uh, that Sid Rosenberg and his wife were involved in because their son uh, has the uh, ailment. They had assembled a uh, group of mobsters choking on their lobsters who are in that show, Gravesend, who hate me. I think some others that uh, appeared with uh, Sid Rosenberg in the movie they're making about the Bamboo Lounge. I I grew up with those guys who would uh, Khashoggi their victims, I mean, just slash them and cut them up into body parts. Uh, You think it would have been wise for me to go there? Because pretty much the season was over, so I got to imagine that the stadium was pretty much closed down. But it was open for a great charitable event. I have no idea how Sid Rosenberg did. The last time he did a charity event for his son's charity, it was uh, at uh, Coney Island for the Cyclones. And uh, Sid was running around with no shirt on, you know, like flexing like the peacock that he is. If anybody uh, out there knows how the game went on Thursday, I haven't heard any reports on it. I I was very busy dealing with uh, the growing crime problem in New York City. I couldn't hear Sid earlier today uh, discussing what went on. But I'll bet you Mr. Staten Island was there, Frank Morano, right, blaming his father for having turned him into a first baseman and not teaching him how to throw is I always loved the position of first base, and I still do. It, it's my favorite position to play. Now, when you're a kid, when I was 9, 10, 11, that's the position I wanted to play. But what happens when you're at first base? You don't throw. You don't exercise your throwing arm. And I really wish my dad, um, who in one year, especially a year, I think I was in fifth grade or so, when I was very good at baseball, uh, offensively and defensively, I wish he had discouraged me from playing first base and instead encouraged me to play third or something else because I got so accustomed to playing first base that 
my throwing arm to this day is not what it should be in terms of accuracy. So then later on, as a teenager, when I tried to make the transition to third base, for the most part it was okay, but uh, sometimes I ended up making these really crazy wild throws because I didn't have the kind of experience making the throws from third base that uh, that a lot of other good third basemen did. did. What a Mama Luke blaming his father Carmine. What a mine. What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. I I just can't believe this. The guy blames his father, Carmine, who taught him the game. Now, he didn't give him the tools of ignorance and say, like Yogi Berra, by the way, it was the anniversary, 70th anniversary of Yogi Berra's passing, number eight, stand-up guy. Let me tell you something. Yogi Berra and Phil Rizzuto, both of whom were MVPs at one point in the American League, Phil Rizzuto from uh, Richmond Hills High School um, in uh, Queens, and Yogi Berra grew up on Dago Hill in St. Louis with Joe Garagiola, his fellow friend and fellow catcher, a great broadcaster, Joe Garagiola. They would have to work in the off-season in a haberdashery shop selling suits. They couldn't exist totally on the income of being on the world's greatest team of all time, the New York Yankees. They had to work in the offseason. And by the way, as Phil Rizzuto uh, told me, he said, look, Yogi was very generous. Some people said I had alligator arms. When the kids would swarm us, he'd be the one buying them the ice cream. I would just watch. Michael Baticic, Rudy Giuliani, says his all-time favorite the Yankee was Yogi Berra. I said, what? Now, Mickey Mantle? He said, no, Mickey Mantle wouldn't sign an autograph uh, for kids. I, I, I never never liked uh, Mickey Mantle. That's why he liked Yogi Berra. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Get nervous. It's not the Puerto Rican Day Parade up Fifth Avenue with the floats bouncing up and down from all the woofers and tweeters and the song Boricua Posse that you're hearing right here. But the reason I have to play this song is with all the damage that's been done to Puerto Rico by Hurricane Fiona, guess who's going over there to help? Take a guess, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, our uh, nighttime uh, producer. 
Take a guess, Avery. Who it is that's going over to Puerto Rico to save Puerto Rico either tonight, Saturday night, or Sunday morning? Take take a guess. Let's see if uh, Avery is a student. Now, who do you think is going over there to be the big savior, the big marker of Puerto Rico? Uh, Mayor Adams. Yeah. Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, has decided that he can't do anything in New York City, which is true. Crime is up, homelessness up, mostly disturbed persons roaming the streets and subways and parks, uh, illegal aliens pouring in. He estimates there'll be 75,000. He can't get the money from Papa Chulo Joe Biden that we need. We're examining everything from, uh, you know, the legality of using uh, any type of cruise ship for temporary housing. Uh, We're looking at everything to see how do we deal with this. So he says, I will be flying out either Saturday night or Sunday morning to speak with and see on the ground what's taking place and meet my team that's there already. Like, excuse me. Whatever team you have that's there should be here. <laughs> We're like overwhelmed. Let FEMA deal with that. Madonna, my, what the heck? He's going over there for a photo op. Right? This is what Andrew evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I did. Remember when they had Hurricane Maria about five years ago? Cuomo was there like every weekend. And then uh, when they had the uh, earthquakes, he was there. You would have thought that Andrew Evilized Cuomo lived in Puerto Rico. What the hell can they do? The federal government, FEMA can. And let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Puerto Rico is part of the United States. It's a commonwealth. It may well end up becoming a state. I support statehood, not commonwealth status, and certainly not the few there who are the radicals who support an independent uh, country for Puerto Rico, but they're like um, three million people living on the island. Per capita, per person, they have more violent crime on the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico than anywhere else in the United States, and that's saying a lot, more than now the new murder capital, New Orleans, more than Memphis, more than Chi-Town, Chicago, More than St. Louis, more than New York, Philadelphia, more than Baltimore, Body Bag City, more than Oaktown, Oakland, more than San Francisco, more than Los Angeles, more than Seattle, more than Portland. But the worst part is they can't ever seem to get their power plants working properly. Now, having spent time in Puerto Rico, I noticed their power plants are in the southern part of the island. But the bulk of the population is in the northern part of the island, like where San Juan is. Well, I was there. I stayed in Levittown. Yeah, did you know that, Broadway, Bill Lee? There's a Levittown right outside of San Juan. Just like you have a Levittown in Nassau County. That's where Bill O'Reilly grew up. And a Levittown in Pennsylvania, all prefab. Uh, All the houses built exactly to the same specs. So if you went to Levittown in Puerto Rico outside of San Juan, Levittown in Nassau County, Levittown in Pennsylvania... And you close your eyes, they all look the same. The problem is you got the power lines got to go over the mountains, you know, where the Hibaros are, you know, the, the mountain people, the country people. And they never seem to be able to get it right. We're America. I mean, we're supposed to get this right. And the power plants are always failing. In fact, I'm trying to think it was a... 
in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria five years ago, for some strange reason, FEMA and the Trump administration picked a tiny Montana company called Whitefish Energy. They got $300 million in order to restore the grid, but it was barely equipped to handle the job and charge more than double the going rate for its workers, and they never done this kind of work before. I, I don't know how the hell that ever happened. But what an embarrassment to America that we cannot get the two power plants to operate functionally and that we can't get the grid to work functionally. I mean, there are third world countries that don't have these kind of problems. And I know there's a lot of corruption, corruption with the police, corruption with the local officials, corruption at the governor's uh, office level, massive amounts of corruption. You send money to Puerto Rico, close your eyes. When the mayors of the little towns get it, they help only the people who voted and supported for them. If you happen to be in the opposition, you get ugats, you get bupkis. Oh, let me hear that. Oh, man, it's reminding me. Puerto Rican Day Parade, right? And yeah, all the politicians are out there styling and profiling and preening around like, uh, like peacocks. I ask you, what the hell is Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan for New York City, going to do in Puerto Rico for like uh, a total of 36 hours other than to be like lens lice and get a lot of FaceTime on Telemundo, Univision, and other stations? Yeah, yeah. Place for sucker. My God, man, you have attention deficit disorder, man. What happened to resolving the crime problem? Mr. Law and Order. What, are you going to go to Puerto Rico and say, hey, I'm the Law and Order guy here? Are you kidding? It's a lot to do in Puerto Rico, man. The Nietas will run him right off the island. And he should visit one of the prisons there. The Nietas control it. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, let's go to uh, Steve, who's calling from Newburgh. You're trying to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey, Curtis, how you doing? I've had better days. My city's falling apart, and my mayor, Eric Adams, who has attention deficit disorder, is going to Puerto Rico instead of staying here. That figures it. Newburgh, uh, you know, was, was once a uh, almost like a Broadway of, New, of the city of New York. Although, you know, stars would start there back in the 50s and then their way up to New York City. But now it's become run down. I mean, it's our infrastructure here cannot handle anything. We don't. We can't widen our roads, and I'm going into Stewart Airport because we own a newspaper up here, and we know everything about Stewart Airport. You know, we're only about an hour north of New York City. It's hidden, but it's got a lot of corruption inside it, um, for sure. It, the MTA took it over about 15 years ago, and ever since then they've been, you know, advertising in our paper at all costs. I mean, they don't, they don't care what price they want inserts in our paper. No matter what's the build of the airport, they're not doing it. They've they've promised business, you know, more business and everything else, and we don't get it uh, for the area. We, we know we're a small paper. We can't, you know, we're not a rich family. We're just a middle class family. But I'll tell you, they they want as much publicity as possible, and we, they do nothing about it. Airlines come and go. Right now, we have nobody in here. We have a JetBlue that comes once a week to Florida, and that's about it. And the biggest thing is, as you mentioned, the, the space. There, it's a two-mile runway. You can handle the space shuttle, okay? But the NTA took it over, and it's become a um, 
just a dumping ground for the U.N. Basically, all the plans come from Dubai. They go to the Woodbury Commons, which I'm sure you heard about that. Yep. So the big plans are flying in here, and they pretty much, you know, use them as a dumping ground for just the, you know, Dubai guys and all of them. And that's fine and dandy, but the NTA is not doing what, you know, they ask, what they should be doing is, build, you know, building up the area, the, the local business, which which are, they need the business. But oh, yeah. Devin, you know, uh, other than other than down by the Hudson River where you have the bars and restaurants, the rest yeah. of Newburgh, it's yeah. ravaged. And part of it is our responsibility. A lot of times when the downstate prisoners get set upstate from the five boroughs, that's what keeps the correctional facilities going, the five boroughs, mostly uh, Brooklyn and the Bronx. Uh, end up sending most of the convicts up there, or as Kathy Crime Wave Hochul now calls them, the um, uh, incarcerated uh, persons. Uh, but when they come out of prison, a lot of times they're sent to halfway houses right all along Broadway. Yep. And they get a feel for Orange County and, you know, Wappingers Falls, all those areas, and they say, I, what do I need to go back to Brooklyn and the Bronx and start battling some young guys for turf? I'll find myself uh, a baby mama drama gal up here. They'll go to a park. They'll sit there. They'll see a single mother coming with the kids playing, and then they'll they'll act like they're concerned, like they're El Romantico. The next thing, she lets them come into their house. Then all of a sudden they're calling the homeboys down in the city, come on up here, we got a lot of suckers in the surrounding area, they'll pay top price for drugs. And the woman goes, what the hell are you doing? You can't do that in my apartment. And they'll smack them around and say, you know, you're not going to say anything to anybody. I'm here, you're here, and at the end of the month, when the check comes, the check is mine. I mean, that's that's the way they operate. I've seen it over and over, and they take advantage of a lot of the single uh, women with kids in those towns, but especially in Newburgh and in Orange County. And it's, it's a shame because it used to be, I mean, I wish I could say it. I'm a proud New Yorker, but i got to be honest with you, I, my brother and I, we were investigative reporters for our own paper. You know, we're, we're, we're down the middle. We're not Republican. We're, we're not liberal. We're right down the middle. But we see it. But the biggest thing is they have these nightly meetings. between. Now, here it is. You have a construction company. Why would you want to meet with 50 other construction companies who are – I'm not making uh, – I don't, I don't care if it's Spanish or Mexican, whatever. But they all get together, and they have these secret meetings late at night, maybe 100 vans, lawn mowing companies, everything else get all together. My, our question is what are they doing or trying to get into these things? If I don't – like are they forming a organization? I don't know, but it's, it looks very suspicious. They're not a union. Trust me. I, I've seen these guys. Um, and they do take away some of our work to the – I'm not going to be racist, but they take away a lot of work for the local landscapers who charge a little bit more. But guess what? You get the personality. You get the, the – you know, it's just it, – it's not good. And the biggest thing is what are they doing? And, two, the airplanes that are flying in, UPS, FedEx, they're on a very de- demanding schedule. We know their hours. And I'm telling you right now, they're flying 747s, 757s. I'm a pilot, small plane pilot, but no, at the middle, middle of the night, there are planes flying in that have no, there is nothing on them. They are blank. There's no logos. Who knows where they're coming oh, from? Well, well, we do know that in addition to 
the Biden administration uh, flying illegals into Westchester County Airport. Some were flown up on a regular basis uh, up to um, Stewart Air Force Base at Newburgh, and then they were put on buses, and they went in there, ended up going in all different directions. Again, most of them were not families with children. They were young adults, young adult males. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight, 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Uh, Bad Bunny recently filled up Yankee Stadium concert right in the Bronx. He's uh, he's blowing up. The movie star now fans are thanking Bad Bunny for giving a video that is called The Blackout, giving a voice to uh, the island of Puerto Rico. And you know he's made it... Uh, Broadway Bill Lee, because San Diego State University, which is a party school like Arizona State University in Tempe, will teach classes on Bad Bunny. So imagine, you could go to San Diego State University. You can go to the beach there, Imperial Beach, all those beaches. Work on your tan, smoke a blunt, get drunk right down there uh, (laughs) off of Balboa Park in San Diego. And uh, you can major in Bad Bunny. By the way, another trivia question. What great major league hitter who ended up playing for the San Diego Padres went to San Diego State and was the most unlikely person to be a great hitter? Looked like he could have been playing softball in a bar league. Our number is one 800 848 Let's go to John and Skill where George Pataki at one time was mayor, assemblyman, state senator. Your turn to be heard at WABC, Johnny. Hey, Curtis, Sean from Peekskill. Yes, Sean. Answer to your trivia question about the chancellor, Crooked Rudy Crew. Yes, Rudy Crew, who was brought in by... Um, Michael Matichich, Rudy Giuliani, they were getting along splendidly. This was after Rudy said he wanted to uh, blow up 110 Livingston Street, the, the old Board of Education. Yep. And then they had a falling out. And then all of a sudden, Rudy Crew was hanging around with Al Slim Shady Sharpton of the National Action Network. And Rudy cut him loose. Uh, he eventually, uh, I think, went down to Dade County, I'm not sure, uh, as chancellor. I came back and uh, became chancellor of Medgar Evers. Uh, but, uh, boy, I remember when both Rudys were like two peas in a pod. And then, boy, if you even mentioned Rudy Cruz's name to Rudy Giuliani, he would, blust, uh, he would bust a few uh, blood vessels. But, no, you got the uh, booby prize there. Wait on there, John. Uh, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator. Make sure you take care of John because he nailed it again. San Diego State University is nothing but a party school. It's always been that way, just like Arizona State University outside of Phoenix and Tempe. Who went to Arizona State University, huh? I'll make it easy. Quite a few people. Someone who actually used to work here. And uh, host mid-mornings. 
Before the show is taken over by uh, Sid Rosenberg and Bernard McGurk from 10 to 12. But um, what baseball player, great hitter, absolutely great, phenomenal hitter, always made contact. But when you looked at him, you said, man, this guy is like, you look at him, he's no athlete. He looked like he could have been uh, playing uh, softball and hitting a beach ball instead of a 13-inch clincher. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Paul in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paul. Hey, Curtis. How you doing? Talked to you two weeks ago. I'm talking about the man with no plan. He was doing a a broadcast from his car. Yes. I thought you were bullshitting me about the coats. Yes. All the jackets hanging up in the back. Yep. I thought you were kidding me when when you said that, but you could actually see all the jackets that he has. Yeah, no, no. I said at the end of the West Indian Caribbean Day Parade, Labor Day Parade, as I was coming out of the number two train station right there, Grand Army Plaza, where the library is, he had just finished the march, was going to his SUV. He had his GQ boys around, you know, members of the police department that ride with him. And he was getting into the back seat, and I walked right up. I put my head in, so, hey, Eric, you don't know me anymore. I'm a person of no consequence. He ignored me. It was like a dry cleaner store in there. He had the shirts, white shirts. He had the ties. He had the jackets. He had the pants. There was no room almost for anybody else. And then when I went around in the back, uh, this big black guy who was an undercover cop, I was uh, making jokes about all the paraphernalia he had in the back, which was also apparel in the back. The guy was laughing, but I realized if Eric Adams saw him laughing, he'd lose his job. Yeah, that's for clubbing that night. <laughs> but you saw, you saw what I was talking about. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I was, I, I didn't believe it. I thought you were kidding me at first, but he was doing a news broadcast out of his SUV, and you could see the coat rack. Right across the back, right yeah. behind him. I'm like, oh, my God. Now, look, David Dinkins, he used to change his suits three times a day, but he had Arnie Segura. He was his man Friday, carry the suit bag. He never had yeah. it like that as as GQ'd as he was. But remember, <laughs> know the theme song that we've created here for Eric Adams. It's all in the hips. It's <laughs> all in the it's all in the hips. 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 He just needs an attention, baby. It's all in the hips. I am completely open. You know, I'm a nightlife man, and I like to test the product. Now, anybody who has any street smarts knows that when you say you're going to test the product, that means you're going to take a little little spoonful of, from that kilo. You're going to take a little spoonful of that coquina. I mean, look, the guy is still at the Club Zero Bond. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. 
downtown in Soho. Uh, you can't get in there. Whatever happens in the Club Zero Bond stays in the Club Zero Bond. That's where folks go to wine him, dine him, and pocket line Eric Adams. And then he's going to be up in a few hours. You connect the dots on that. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. As you get deeper into this song by Bruce Springsteen, some uh, call him the boss. To me, he's the horse. You know, the working class champion, not. You know, if you go to the Wikipedia, born on the other side of the tracks in Freehold, New Jersey, blue-collar, working class family. And then all of a sudden, he ended up with the one percenters in Rumson, right? And him, along with Bon Jovi, we're going to be talking about Bon Jovi up next, uh, his battles with Donald Trump, which actually were part of the uh, press conference uh, Tish James, the do-nothing attorney general, had when she said she was suing Donald Trump and his three kids. It all had to do, a lot of it, with the attempt to purchase the Buffalo Bills and the battle in 2014 between Trump and Bon Jovi to buy it. They both lost out. But a lot of what she was uh, pressing this civil case on actually had to do with what Trump was reporting to the banks in order to try to secure a loan to outbid everybody for purchase of the Buffalo Bills. That's coming up, but both uh, Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen. Uh, once they uh, had their ponderosas, you know what they would do, uh, Broadway Bill Lee and uh, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator. They would claim that they were suddenly farmers and they'd be writing off their property taxes. You know, they didn't even want a property tax rebate in Jersey. They said, we're farmers. I could just imagine what they were growing on their property. Homegrown stuff, right? Or maybe they had hydroponics, you know, in a shed or whatever. For their homegrown needs of smoking that herb, that reefer, that Maui Waui, that Hindu Kush, whatever. But this guy has claimed again and again that uh, he represents the blue-collar working class guys. 
You know why we're talking about Springsteen today? Because I really hate him. I really despise him. I really loathe him. He's 73. 73 today. And remember recently, I think it was uh, maybe six months ago, he was on his Harley. I think he rode into Liberty State Park. I'm not quite sure. Or maybe even Point Pleasant. Maybe somebody out there knows for sure. And um, he was talking to some uh, fans there. He was by himself, and apparently they offered him a shot of whiskey or rye or vodka or whatever. He had a shot. And then the state troopers or the local cops followed him, and they cited him and rode him up. Then he rode uh, back to his uh, his McMansion or wherever he was living at the time. I think he had moved from Runson, uh, Rumson uh, with the one percenters to some other ostentatious place. And basically they made that all go away. Made that all go away. But I, I must tell you this. And I love to hear from some of you because I know you'll go to the mat for Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, Stevie Van Zandt, you know, good friend of Sid Rosenberg. I actually heard on his podcast, had really two great interviews with Stevie Van Zandt, maybe uh, Sid Rosenberg's best uh, interviews ever. But I call him Schmatter Boy because naturally when he's on the stage with the uh, E Street Band, you know, he's got the schmanta there, and then uh, from the soprano days, he's like flathead. But let me tell you something, that guy's politics, radical, socialist, to the left. Although he did a very good thing recently in donating uh, to the policeman's uh, fund. I think the Detectives Endowment Association for their widows and orphans and their retirees, uh, Stevie Van Zandt, I think, donated over a million bucks. So I give him props for that. And correct me if I'm wrong, if I have the wrong police organization. I'm pretty sure it was the detectives. But I will tell you this. Uh, they announced at least the spokespersons for Springsteen and the E Street Band that they were going out on tour. They hadn't been on tour since 2017. And then actually, with the lockdown and the pandemic of March of 2020, uh, you couldn't tour anywhere. Couldn't even tour in your, your basement, never mind uh, any venues. Now they're going back on tour. The prices are outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. If you're up in the nosebleed section, it's like a thousand bucks. If you're in the low section, which is like the middle of MetLife, in some instances you're paying five thousand bucks. What the hell? Is he going to die and take the money with him? And the members of the East Street Band, I realize they have expenses. You go on tour, 18 wheel tractor trailers, you got the roadies. But come on. And when they were asked about that, like, why these extreme high prices? Springsteen never responded, because naturally he's impervious, you know, he's pretentious. It's like a form of idolatry. He's God. You don't talk to God. But Stevie Van Zandt did respond. And he said, well, you know, this is capitalism. Well, I remember the one time I had a conversation with him in the Palladium, the old Palladium. This is not when they had a session going on. I forget why we were all there. But he struck me as a socialist, not a capitalist. But then again, when you see the green in between, you become an instant capitalist. So he said, hey, we're just capitalists. What do you expect? And I said, why? Why would all of you just flock there? Like, his number one sycophantodian lackey in the whole world for Bruce Springsteen is Shabu. El Jefe, Chris Christie, who apparently was at some business conference upstate New York, 
and uh, taking shots at Trump, taking shots at Dr. Oz, saying he was really from New Jersey, not Pennsylvania, and being a typical wise-ass, Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie. You never know which uh, Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie you're dealing with. Now remember, this is the guy who could have run for the presidency of the United States and not Romney. In the beginning, before the Caucasoid Convention in Iowa, Iowa pig farmers, where there are more pigs than people, sent a delegation to Drum Thwack, which is the governor's mansion outside of Princeton. And they sat down with uh, Shamu El Hefe Chris Christie and his wife, uh, Patty Olive Oil. And they tried to convince him to run for the Republican nomination and to run in the Caucasoid uh, convention in Iowa. And he said no. And he really thought at the end, uh, when all was said and done, that Mitt Romney, the designee of the Republicans, would end up picking him as opposed to uh, Ryan, the congressman in Wisconsin. He couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. And then, if you remember, he, he ran for the presidency and got knocked out of the box in the year that Trump uh, swept to uh, the Republican nomination. Seventeen started off in that race, including Shamu El Hefe, Chris Christie. Uh, and his role in those debates leading up to uh, Donald Trump being uh, voted in as the nominee in Cleveland was to knock out uh, little uh, Marco Rubio, which he did on that stage in New Hampshire, just knocked the hell out of him. And what did he do right after that? He went to the Boston Garden to see the boss and the East Street Band, who never give him any play, never give him any attention. I think he's been to 183 concerts all over the world. And they, like, never give him any attention. He's their number one fan. And one time, one time only, Right before Barack Obama's re-election against Mitt Romney, they had been doing a concert, I believe in Columbus, Ohio, on behalf of Barack Obama and his uh, running mate, Vice President Joe Biden. And Bruce Springsteen was entertaining the crowd, so they are on Air Force One flying back to D.C. And Bruce calls up Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie, who, if you remember, had hugged uh, Barack Obama in the aftermath of Superstorm Sandy, and that pretty much sealed the deal. And Bruce finally spoke to Shamu El Hefe, Chris Christie, and said, Hey, Chris, good job. You you want to talk to the president? Get oh. the hell off the beach. Oh, my God. That was so humiliating. But then again, Chris Christie, when it comes to Springsteen and the E Street Band, he's got no self-esteem. Sit down and shut up. He gets smacked around. Don't be stupid. Yeah, why are you so stupid? You follow them to the ends of the earth, and they treat you like a person of no consequence. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go I to have Vin- no interest in answering your question. Yeah, well, you answering a lot of questions upstate New York earlier when you were taking shots at Trump, taking shots at uh, Dr. Oz, claiming, oh, He's a good boy from New Jersey. <laughs> I think on the Trump side, it was too hot. I mean, you know, listen, you come in and decide you want to be aggressive. And I think that was the right thing to be aggressive. But that was too hot. And so I think that what happens is 
with all that heat, as you said before, you lose the light. Um, that potentially can be fixed. Now, if I remember correctly, after um, after Shamu Ahafi, Chris Christie recognized that he couldn't go any further in the primary against Trump. I believe it was in a tarmac in a uh, aircraft hangar. Trump's jet was there. Shamu Al-Hafei, Chris Christie, came off and endorsed Donald Trump. And then the next stop was, I think, Columbus, Ohio. And they had a rally there. And Donald Trump, the candidate at that time, was with his family and staff. And he sent Shamu Al-Hafei, Chris Christie, to the nearby McDonald's. Because, you know, Trump is, like, addicted to McDonald's. You know, he's like, he's got to have his Mickey D's. And the reason he likes Mickey D's is he figures there's no way they could poison him in Mickey D's. They have no idea. It's a fast food restaurant. You come in with your order, there's no time to poison the food. So he loves Mickey D's. In fact, in uh, the book of his uh, son-in-law, Kushner, he says that's one of the reasons he loves fast food, especially Mickey D's. So he sent Shamu al Hefe, Chris Christie, to a big McDonald's near the airport in Columbus after he had done the rally. And ordered, you know, you know first off, it's none of your business. And uh, ordered all kinds of, you know, quarter pounders with cheese, quarter pounders, Big Macs, uh, fish fillets. Uh, apparently, uh, Donald Trump loves fish fillets, loves the super fries, uh, loves, I, I'm trying to remember what kind of shake, vanilla shake? I think it's a vanilla shake. And naturally, a Diet Coke. And then on the way back, <laughs> Samuel Hefe, Chris Christie, was getting hungry and apparently ate half the order. You've maximized your tan. So by the time he got back to the tarmac and they got back on the Trump aircraft to go to their next destination, he had eaten up half the orders of the Mickey D's. Sit down and shut up which pissed off Trump to no end. <laughs> I kid you not. And yet this guy is like the number one sickle fan, Tony and Lackey. Knowing that it's uh, Bruce Springsteen's 73rd birthday, I got to tell you, he's probably sending him all kinds of messages, cards, you know, little stuffed teddy bears. Uh, if he's living in Rumson, uh, you know, with the 1%, is wherever Bruce Springsteen is now. There's no doubt. It's a form of D. Deity worshiping, idolatry. I, it's above and beyond being a fan. It's sick. He's a real sickola. Shamu al Hefe Chris Christie. Anyway, let's go to Vincent, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Vince. Good morning, uh, Curtis. And first, I'd like to thank you and Avery for the fantastic hat. If anybody doesn't win one, they should buy one because it's a real good quality hat and it really looks great. Okay. Now, question, Vince, uh, how long did it take for our director oh, of merchandise? It wasn't long at all. Less than, less than a week, I believe. Wow, that, that's good. That's good to hear. This yeah, way I don't have to pimp job. slap Avery around on this one. Thank you. Thank you, Vince. No, no, it's terrific. Listen, when, Sh- when Shamu used to ride, uh, be in a Middlesex parade for one of the towns, they had to have him on a flatbed truck. But basically everybody else was walking. But you maximized your tan. Wow. Yeah. A flatbed yeah. truck. Yep. Now, did you ever wonder why Bruce's first wife just disappeared off the face of the earth like no one has ever, ever seen or heard from this woman again? 
No, no, I, I'm not familiar with her. I know he ended up marrying the the, uh, the redhead. I forget what her yeah, name the is. One, the one who worked in the Mexican restaurant on Ninth Avenue back in the 70s and stuff. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the beautiful one that was in that show, I think it was called Sisters. Uh, I mean, where did where did she go? Mm-hmm. She was a, she was a television actress. She had a career, gone. And the second rumor I always heard was, before that Born in the USA record came out. He had been out in San Francisco uh, experimenting, we'll call it. And did you ever notice how he beefed up before that album came out? Mm. Real, you know, interesting. Now, you're claiming roids? Uh, uh, no, I'm claiming bathhouses kind of stuff. Oh, 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 yeah, what San Francisco is known for, I, I see. And now, you know, you're talking about Shamu, but did you also ever notice how this, there's a sort of sick love between, like, little Steven and the boss and Shamu and the boss? You've maximized your tan. Well, yeah. it's but it's a one-way street. What I mean is neither Bruce Springsteen or Stevie Van Zandt give any attention or recognition to their number one groupie and fan, Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie. It's embarrassing. It's ridiculously embarrassing. I mean, Christie should be ashamed of himself. Now, Vince, uh, I remember when he took out uh, little Marco Rubio in the debate in 2016 in New Hampshire, just eviscerated him and knocked him out of the box uh, in the year that Trump won and then went on to beat Hillary. When he went to the Boston Garden that night to see Springsteen in the East Street Band, remember how he was doing the jiggle wiggle there in like the middle of the crowd? I, I try I try not to remember that. It's really you know, it's very very upsetting. It's like a nightmare to well, see what do you, a vision. What do you think this guy who is so full of himself, so pompous, so arrogant, so uh um pretentious, that when it comes to Springsteen he becomes unglued. He becomes like uh like a little girl gets, you know, like a girly man. What, what do you think it is? I have no interest in answering your question. It's like this is vicarious fantasy that these guys and these people have, many of the Springsteen worshippers. It just kind of explains this whole thing about why would anybody pay these ridiculous prices for, a, you know, a, upstairs a blue stadium seat or arena seat for this guy whose voice is, like, you know, horrible on top of everything else, who's kind of melody deaf. And whose whole act is a basically scripted pose. Well, Vince, I mean, think of it. A thousand dollars to be up in the nosebleed section, five thousand in the loge. I'm sure if you sit right next to the stage, it'll cost you a reverse mortgage. You'll have to go for a payday loan. And they, they, they he can't even answer the que- the questions are why? Why would you do this to working class people? And then Stevie Van Zandt answers it by saying, Well, you know, we're capitalists. Yeah, well, you know what? The boss is a greedy punk now. That's all he is. And on top of everything else, he's insulting because that whole nonsense about the blue-collar working-class stuff, you got to be a fool to believe that. That's scripted. And also the fact that he and Bon Jovi are now farmers, writing off massive amounts of their property, uh, claiming that they are developing agricultural products uh, so that they don't have to pay property taxes to half in the bag, Murphy and Trenton. Well, Bon Dopey bon might actually have a little bit more of a human soul than uh, than the boss, but you know they're they're just hypocrites. That's all. And if you know if somebody wants to buy it, 
it's like saying, hey, you know, like uh, Biden's doing a great job. I got to tell you, up next, the basis. Now, this wasn't fully explained. It was touched on. So when the do-nothing attorney general, Tish James, who does nothing to combat crime in New York State, which is growing in leaps and barrels from uh, Buffalo to Brooklyn, her only obsession is to try to criminally prosecute the Trump family, Donald Trump, his businesses, or civilly prosecute them, and she's filed a civil suit. A lot of people don't realize Avery, our nighttime producer and telephone talent coordinator, that a lot of it was based on the bidding war that went on to buy the Buffalo Bills in Orchard Park, the old stadium, in 2014. Now, eventually, uh, Trump lost and Bon Jovi lost. But, oh, man, did it get hot and heavy. And to this day, Bon Jovi says, if the only city left in the world were Buffalo, he would never go there. He would never tour there. He would never do a concert there for philanthropy. It wouldn't matter. Because of what went down between him and Donald Trump. We're going to get into that up next. It was part of the basis of this Fagazi civil suit against Trump. This is the most ridiculous thing that's ever been filed. And yet this is what Tish James lives for. She's obsessed with suing Donald Trump, criminally prosecuting Donald Trump, his children, his businesses. And a good chunk of this civil litigation has to do with the battle that Donald Trump had vis-a-vis versus um, John Bon Jovi to purchase the Buffalo Bills back in 2014. You're going to learn a lot if you listen to Curtis. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Jovi, bad medicine. And remember, he's got that uh, ozone depleted hair, you know, from all the hairspray along with his band. They always had that mall hair. But uh, he really got into it with Donald Trump over the uh, both wanted to purchase the uh, Buffalo Bills when they were up for sale. They were like two scorpions in a brandy glass. I had completely forgotten about this until I went through some of the 200 pages of that civil lawsuit that Tish James, the do-nothing attorney general of New York, filed against Donald Trump and his uh, two sons and his daughter about inflating what their properties were worth And what their net worth was worth. And I'm scratching my head and saying, really? This is what you spend your time doing? Your complete obsession while we have cities like Rochester 
per capita per person. They have the most horrible crime situations in the nation for a small city. I mean, Albany had drive-by shootings. Six people were shot. And then you go to Troy, South Troy. It's like off the hook. Utica. You go right on down the line. Syracuse. And right here in New York City, Mount Vernon, Yonkers. Let's go on and on and on. And all you want to do is get into the business of the Trump family and the Trump businesses. But I had completely forgotten how bad a battle it was, even though neither ended up having the winning bid for the Buffalo Bills. In fact, if you happen to know who ended up buying the Buffalo Bills, usurping Donald Trump's offer and John Bon Jovi's offer, you can win a Curtis Sleeve Booby Prize. Just call 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But here is uh, John Bon Jovi taking a shot at Donald Trump. The candidates love playing high-energy ballads at their campaigns to get the crowd going. Uh, what Bon Jovi song should Mrs. Clinton play on election night at huh. the Javits Center? Wow. Um, this house is not for sale. <laughs> there you go. There's a shameless plug. <laughs> <Bang>. <laughs> what, what, what about the Trump campaign? What Bon Jovi song should they play? <sighs> it's a wonderful world because it goes to show you that anybody has the chance to be the president of the United States. Wow, he was going to play that song for Hillary at the Jacob Javits Center in 2016. The assumption was that Hillary would win the presidency, and instead she collapsed in a fetal position in the back room. When uh, Bill Clinton and the former Clintonistas broke it down to her that she had lost, especially in the state of Wisconsin, which uh, they had already put in the win column. But that was Bon Jovi, you know, Remember, I believe it was the night before the 2016 election that they had this big, huge rally in Philadelphia. It was Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton. I think it was Barack Obama and Michelle Obama there. I'm not quite sure. 2016. And performing was Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen. I mean, they, they brought the heavy artillery. And they could not, they could not pull it out. And let's face it, when Donald Trump realized that he was president of the United States, he was the most surprised person in the world. You saw that look on his face. It was like, I'm president? I thought for sure I'd lose. I had heard Donald Trump earlier that day on WABC when Michael Savage, Michael Weiner, you know, the guy who grew up in Queens, went to Jamaica High School up on the hill, Queens College, and then all of a sudden went off to uh, Polynesia or Tahiti and uh, ended up hanging out with guys who ended up joining the Man, Man Boy Love Association. I mean, it was real freaky dicky. But he changed his name from Wiener to Savage. And he was interviewing candidate Donald Trump that day. And Trump did not have his usual exuberance, you know, the full of himself that he always is. It's all about Trump. It was almost like he was prepared to lose. And yet, against all odds, he won that day. Well, here is uh, John Bon Jovi taking another shot at Donald Trump. But what is his take on Trump in the White House? He should go back and reread his inauguration day one line because he is certainly not representing himself 
as the president of all the people. <laughs> now, that's after Trump gets inaugurated. He guy can't stop himself. And then he was asked the question, if you were stuck in an elevator, John Bon Jovi, who would you prefer to be with, Donald Trump, then the president of the United States, or the dictator, we'll be talking about him coming up in the 3 o'clock hour, Vladimir Putin. Stuck in an elevator with Trump or Putin? (laughs) Putin. (laughs) He said Putin. And then actually, you know that Donald Trump didn't take things quietly and sitting down. He he, uh, responded at all of his rallies. When anybody would mention the name John Bon Jovi. John Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. We don't need John Bon Jovi. And then uh, he would generally, at that point, end the rallies by sticking it to Bon Jovi. John Bon Jovi, every time I see him, he kisses my ass. John Bon Jovi, every time I see him, he kisses my ass. John Bon Jovi, every time I see him, he kisses my ass. So this, John Bon Jovi, every time I see him, he kisses my ass. This was pure John hate. Bon Jovi, pure hate. And to break it down to you, and again, I realize you couldn't read 200 pages of this nonsensical um, lawsuit against uh, Donald Trump and his uh, three children. But it was 200 pages. And some of it had to do with his former attorney, Michael Cohen. Remember Michael Cohen? He had owned all those medallions from those uh, czars from the Ukraine and Russia who tossed him a few medallions. And then he was a part owner for a while of what catering hall in Brooklyn in Marine Park? I'll give you a little tip. On the day that I was shot five times with hollow point bullets, June 19th of 1992, the gunman, Michael Iannotti, who did 20 years for shooting me, he's now out. He's out and about. And the uh, driver, who became a cooperating uh, witness, went to this catering hall and met with uh, little Nick Nick Carrazzo, who was going to pay them for having uh, shot me multiple times. But the caveat he said to them was, man, you better hope he doesn't die. Or there's going to be all hell and a price to pay for this. Take the money now. Apparently, Ian Adi gladly took the money. Don't know about the other Herkimer jerk. So there are two booby prizes here. What was the catering hall, very famous catering hall, now owned by Russians, previously owned by little Nick Nick Carrazzo. He was the silent partner. And his brother, the uh, consigliere for the Gambino crime family, Jojo Carrazzo. They were the silent partners. And Michael Cohn had a little bit of an interest in that because um, his uncle was a big-shot dentist, I believe, in the uh, Russian-Ukrainian community who was, uh, again, the front guy in the ownership of this catering hall. Man, I've given you so many details. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So apparently Michael uh, Cohn, when he flipped the script on Trump, told Tish James that that Donald Trump 
provided Deutsche Bank with an inflated financial statement while seeking a loan for his failed attempt to buy the bills. And that Trump made a $1 billion bid for the bills with the intention to seek financing for up to $800 million of that amount. Trump needed a letter from a bank expressing confidence in his bid, according to the lawsuit. I have no idea what the bid was uh, put in by John Bon Jovi. But momentarily, I'll let you know how dirty it got between John Bon Jovi and Donald Trump as they battled for ownership of the Buffalo Bills back in 2014. It was up for sale, I think, in 2013. And the trivia question is, who owned uh, the Buffalo Bills uh, at that time, and who eventually became the owner? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Teresa, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Teresa. Good morning, Curtis. Um, I just I called to say also thank you for the beautiful hat. And uh, I put it on immediately. But I have to tell you the funny part. A couple days before that, I got into a car accident. It wasn't my fault. had a big black shiner my eye. I couldn't even open it. Now, I'm a 65-year-old lady, white hair. I got this hat on with a black eye, and I go into the store to buy something, and the girl goes, oh, my God, what happened to you? Did you get into a fight? And I just said, yeah, you should be the other guy. <laughs> and she goes, is it the hat? I go, no, no, not the hat. <laughs> I thought you'd find that uh <laughs> It was perfect. And even my friend was like, you can't wear that. You're going to get beat up. I'm like, I don't care how old I am. Nobody's going to beat me up. Exactly. You wear that. In fact, Teresa, in which part of New Jersey do you live? Uh, I was in Lodi, and I got flooded out last September. So now I finally found a place in Dumont. Oh, Dumont. Uh, Okay. Yeah. it's a little bit better. So but, um, um, when you feel friskier, when you're in top, tip-top, healthy condition, <laughs> you take that hat and you go down to the epicenter of Newark, New Jersey, right near Broad and Market, and you strut around <laughs> and you say, I'm a fan of Curtis Sliwa. You see that? I got it like that. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you can't believe how many people say, wow, I love that. Where'd you get that? But um, the other thing was um, about, about Springsteen, and I know it's, you're off the subject. But oh, no, no, no. We, we'll always talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. Back in the day, um, when I was a youngster, I uh, was dating a musician, and we got invited to Max. What the hell is his name? Weinberg, Weinstein, the drummer? Yes. And I never liked Springsteen. I always hated him. I always used to say, even when he first came out, that he capitalizes on the working man. I can't stand this guy. And uh, But we went to this party. The guy was in, I don't know, Navasink or some rich place like that. The place was a mansion. And his wife has got this birth, surprise birthday party for this guy. 
in the basement that looked like a cafeteria. I mean, so freaking cheap. And then we go upstairs, and we're all waiting for, you know, uh, Ringo to show up and Bruce and all these guys. And instead, they come up on a big flat screen to wish him a, you know, a happy birthday. But it was it was so stupid. All these people were, like, all over this guy. And I was just like, can we go now, you know? But Now, now, high. you know who would have loved to have taken your place, Teresa? Yeah, Frank. No, no, I don't know Frank. Frank, that's a little too hip for Frank, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, you know, he's he's into Rudy Valley, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime, Al Jolson, Mammy. He's and he's the, he's the oldest though. the oldest young person you'd ever want to know. The person who would have loved to have taken your place was Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie. Oh, probably. He would have done anything to be at Bruce's birthday party at that house that you were invited uh, to. It wasn't Bruce's birthday oh, party. It was oh. Max Wine, oh, Wine uh, oh, the drummer guy. I see. I see. From his band. But the basement looked like a cafeteria in a public school. Yeah. It, it was so cheap. And we got, like, tacos. You know. I mean, come on. This guy was, like, rich. You know, I was expecting. <laughs> I didn't care. I well, was it like t- was it like Taco Tuesday? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Okay, <laughs> and but his she... wife's walking around with this Mexican thing wrapped blanket wrapped around her waist. You know, it's stupid. So you were you were very <laughs> disappointed, Teresa. I I couldn't have cared less. It was just something to do. You know. <laughs> I gotta but, tell you, gotta tell you, Teresa. Even though it was such a disappointment to you, if Shamu El Hefe, Chris Christie were there, that would have made his day. That would have made his day, Teresa. <laughs> but no, nah, no, nah, this, this is, this is. That was uh, did uh, did, did now Bruce Springsteen came to celebrate the uh, the birthday with his drummer, right? He was supposed to show up as part of the surprise. Him and Ringo and all them other guys, but none of them showed up, and we all had to watch these idiots on the on the the big flat screens they had back then. You oh, know, oh my! The really lousy picture. Oh my and they're god! All sending them greetings, you know, with all their diamonds and stuff on, you know, Ooh. especially Ringo. Yeah, I hate Ringo. I hate Paul Ringo McCartney, and I hate Ringo. Fly. <laughs> you know, I upset people here at WABC because they, they always like to make it seem like it was W.A. Beatles C. Uh, that Cousin yeah. Brucie was the first to interview the Beatles when they came in. As much as I, I like Cousin Brucie, uh, I have to straighten him out. It was not Cousin Brucie. It was, uh, it was the swinging soiree at W.I.N.S., uh, what's his name? I see. Yeah. Hey, testing it. Who was it? Friend, uh, friend of Bobby Darren. Uh, Murray the K and the Swinging Soiree. Oh my God! <laughs> That's when WINS was spinning stacks of wax top forty, as was WMCA. They were the good guys. That's the station I mostly listened to. For pop music and then WWRL on the AM dial for R&B. I almost never listened to WABC. Almost never when they spun well, stacks of wax. Yeah, I always had the little 
transistor walking around with it all the time listening to the cool but, but, old music. But I, you know? I, I will tell you this, Teresa, Murray, mm-hmm. Murray the K and the Swinging Soiree, that was a great, he was a great DJ. I mean, look, him and Cousin Brucey, side by side. Cousin Brucey knocked out Wolfman Jack. Remember, they brought in Wolfman Jack from that station in Mexico that pumped out 100,000 powerful watts of sound. In fact, if birds flew anywhere near their tower, they dropped. That's how strong the signal was. And then they brought him all the way to New York, Wolfman Jack, who was from Williamsburg. They had him on NBC the same time as Cousin Brucey on WABC at night, six nights a week. The only night off they had was Sunday. And Cousin Brucey beat him. Wolfman Jack went back to Los Angeles. And guess who hired Cousin Brucey? WNBC. They, they hired him right away from WABC. And Cousin Brucey, who never says anything negative, never says anything negative about anybody, that guy should have been a garbage man. <laughs> that's about that's about as vile as he would get. One on one, can you imagine? And NBC spent millions of dollars promoting Wolfman Jack, and he couldn't take out Cousin Brucey. And how ironic! Wolfman Jack goes back to L.A. And NBC hires Cousin Brucey, who beat him one-on-one, away from WABC. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. All night long, this is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Shot to the heart, and you're too late, darling. You give love a bad name. Well, if memory serves me correct, remember when I was uh, patrolling with the Guardian Angels, Stockton Street in Perth Amboy, that high-rise project. Boy, that was bad. I remember when we were patrolling there, some guy told me, hey, you know who lived down the block, who was born and raised down the block, John Bon Jovi in Perth Amboy. Somehow, um, I was like... Shaking my head. I know a lot of Polish people in Perth Amboy, now a lot of Mexicans, but 
I said, John Bon Jovi? I, I figured maybe South Amboy. Uh, I never I never quite checked up on that. If anybody out there knows for sure, please give me a call and you'll get it courtesy with Booby Prize. Don't ask, don't tell, because I throw nickels around like manhole covers, but you heard Teresa say, wow, that was a nice hat she got on time, courtesy of Avery, our telephone talent coordinator and our merch uh, director, who is uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Dan, who's calling all the way from Vermont. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Danny. Hey, good evening, Curtis. How are you this evening? I'm a member, a proud member of the Bills Mafia. Ah, that's that's the group that uh, they get together. I can never like them. You understand why, uh, Dan, because <laughs> they have the name Mafia. Though, it's interesting on the Upper West Side, running for assembly, the Republican candidate, his last name is Mafia, and I've been campaigning for him. But every time I say his last name, Mafia, I cringe. <laughs> I could understand why. And I'm actually a Bronx boy originally. was born and partially raised up in uh, the Fordham Manor and then later the Norwood section of the Bronx. And then my family in the early 70s ended up decamping up to Connecticut. But um I still got a lot of connections with the city, and uh, about 15 years ago, I moved on up here north where there's more trees and more cows than people. Oh, but I I love the green of Vermont. Now, do you have a gun? Because I know a lot of liberals up there, a lot of Democrats, they have guns up there. No, but I'll tell you, uh, I was just having a refrigerator delivered today, and the gentleman and the crew that was coming to uh, deliver that fridge we're very excited about the fact that tomorrow morning they were headed out to hide in some cornfields to go black bear hunting. So. <laughs> hide in cornfields. Yeah. I said, hey, you know, there's a lot of unique ways they spend their time up here. Wow. Wow. I'm just one of those flatlanders, you know. I'm not exactly, um, you know, I'm here 15 years, but I think they're still trying to figure me out. <laughs> Yep, yep, no, absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, you have the trivia answer, Dan? I do, I sure do for you. So the original uh, owner and founder of the franchise was Ralph Wilson, who was actually from Detroit. And then in 2013, after, uh, 2013, after he died, and the family was trying to decide what to do, and they put the franchise up for sale, uh, finally uh, a couple by the name of Terry and Kim Pagula were the couple that saved our souls and saved that franchise from moving to Toronto or God knows where else. Now, you know that that was a rumor about moving to Toronto, planted by Donald Trump claiming that because John Bon Jovi was in a consortium to buy the bills and some of the members of the consortium were from Toronto, that that's why Trump said you can't give it to John Bon Jovi because if he and his consortium purchase it, he'll move it right to Toronto where the Toronto Argonauts uh, play in that stadium for the Canadian Football League. Yeah, and it, it was actually a, a fairly you know uh, wise strategy because there are a lot of Canadian fans who come over the Peace Bridge to Buffalo for the game. So they have quite uh, quite an extensive fan base on the other side of the border as well. So- well, that, that that used to be the way Canadians would get into the border. They'd say, oh, going to a Bills game. You know, that was it. 
or when the uh, Buffalo had a basketball team, the Buffalo Braves. Oh, uh, just coming in, you know, for for the game. Meantime, for Americans going across the Peace Bridge, it was simply we're going for a beer run. This is before 9-11. We're going for a beer run. Oh, okay, Canadians would say, come on in. But uh, on that, did you ever travel up towards uh, Toronto uh, and then stop in Hamilton to see the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the Canadian Football League? No, but I've been through Hamilton, and um, I do know that Steve Tasker, who was a special teams uh, player for that dynasty of the Buffalo Bills in the 1990s, his son uh, plays for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, or he did up until recently. And they were in the uh, what they call the Grey Cup, their Super Bowl up there in the CFL. And I love Hamilton, having gone through there quite a few times. Uh, it reminded me of a small Pittsburgh, because that's where they're – uh, steel smelting uh, plants were, the uh, steel plants, they had dye mills. It, it was like a throwback to the 1950s. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly right. And the funny thing is, is, you know, my whole, you know, origin story, how I became a Bills fan, there was no explanation for it because my father grew up in Highbridge, right there on Summit Avenue, and you know, right around the corner from Yankee Stadium. He worked at Yankee Stadium for 20 years. You know, he was pitching the beer, the hot dogs, the programs, you know, worked the Yankees games, worked the Giants games. But by the time I was old enough to appreciate, you know, a spectator sport and get attached to a team, uh, the Giants had already decamped to the Meadowlands. They were already playing in New Jersey. And I used to be like, Dad, they play in New Jersey. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. He says, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, they're greater New York. He said, it's not just New York City, but, Dad, they play in New Jersey. <laughs> Wow. And as a kid, you know, I just remember back in the day on Saturday mornings, you know, before your cartoons, you'd have this is the NFL. And, you know, bills were fairly competitive back then, too. Of course, you had O.J. Simpson and, and Ferguson, the quarterback. And I don't know. As a kid, I just thought that's a cool helmet. It was a lot more exciting than the bold letter Giants script on the side with the, uh, you know, the intermediate helmet they had before they went from the old N.Y and then back to the old NY. Well, I remember and, uh, before yeah. they went out to Orchard Park, they played in the old War Memorial Stadium, which yeah, is the rock pile. Right, where the um, the movie The Natural was made. That's a great movie about baseball, obviously. But uh, uh, I remember Jack Kemp had been traded from the San Diego uh, Chargers to the Buffalo Bills. Right. And, boy, they were, they were a, a dynamic team at that point. Well, they were, and they, they won the AFL championship twice before the merger. Now, I wonder, so they, when you mentioned how the transfer of the team went from the original owner, Ralph Wilson, is how come Tom Galassano, who was such a political power, owned Paycheck in Rochester, as it's known now, uh, bought the uh, Sabres, uh, bought the uh, Buffalo Evening News. I'm, I'm surprised he never made a bid for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, you know, I don't know, because like I said, you know, I mean, I was born and raised until, you know, a handful of years ago, always lived in, you know, New York City or within an hour of it in the tri-state area. And it turned out that my wife, who I uh, met barely a month after the fourth Super Bowl loss uh, in um, 93 there, that uh, 94, in January, February 94, that um, – that, uh, yeah, that she was from Buffalo, and she could not believe it, that she had found another Bills fan. 
Yeah, no, no, but there was I, no rhyme or reason why I should have, you know, been a fan. Well, I had I, no connection tell you what, to Western New York. The other know. day, the other day it was uh, Wednesday. I was going to Broad Channel. I took the A train. A lot of people were surprised to see me on the A train going out to Broad Channel. Walked over to the VFW Hall, but before I walked to the VFW Hall, the, on the whole ride out to the Irish Riviera, he lived out in Rockaway Park, was this guy, an Irish guy, who was wearing all the Buffalo Bills paraphernalia. He had the red jacket, he had the hat on red, you know, with the uh, symbol of the Buffalo Bills. And I said yeah. to him, I said, how come you're a Buffalo Bills fan? He goes, the teams that were in New York City, they're New Jersey teams. Uh, I, I don't follow the Jets or the Giants because they're New Jersey. He said the only New York team is the Buffalo Bills. That's my team. There you go. I even got my uncle up in Yonkers rocking a Bills hat now because he grew up. He was another black sheep because his boy was Johnny Unitas. He was a Baltimore Colts fan. Oh, yeah. So growing up in Hybridge, you know, I dare say, you know, he uh, – he, he caught a little flack for that. Oh, you better believe it, especially the way the Colts uh, in the heyday of Johnny Unitas would handle uh, the New York Giants. The only bad thing about the Buffalo Bills, remember, until he resigned as governor of the state of New York, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, claimed that he was the number one Buffalo Bills fan. You remember that, don't you? I believe I do. <laughs> All right, we'll stay on the line, Dan, because you have just won yourself a Curtis Lee will booby prize. Take care of Dan, the man in Vermont, in the land of Bernie, the Altacaca Sanders, originally from uh, Brooklyn, who went to the same high school as Cousin Brucey. That's right, Madison High School. Make sure you get that booby prize to Dan in Vermont. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa.
Moscow to St. Petersburg, and I'm not talking St. Petersburg, Florida. But if you go north, the time St. Petersburg in Russia, it's sunny all day, almost all day. It's never dark because it's close to the Arctic. Although I noticed there are a lot of Russians in St. Petersburg, Florida of late. A lot of them migrated there years ago on the other side uh, of uh, Tampa. But anyway, this is the number one hit in Russia. And it's been this way for two years. It's the uh, number one hit with a bullet. Top 40, a Kalashnikov bullet. AK-47 bullet. And you better get up and dance when you hear this song, Avery, even though you have two left feet. As a black man, I find this difficult to believe that, like Urkel, you just don't have any rhythm. When they play this song in the Russian discos, everybody has to get up and dance and pay tribute to Vladimir Putin, their dictator. The guy who is in complete charge. And oh boy, just when the U.N. Secretary was speaking before the General Assembly and talking about how climate change and global warming was the challenge to the world, the biggest challenge we face, out-muscling him in Moscow was Vladimir Putin, who uh, said uh, the following. He said... uh, To those of you who are in NATO, those of you out west, if you continue to interfere with what's going on in the Ukraine, I'm not kidding. I'm not bluffing. I will turn the Ukraine into a glass highway, and I will use the atomic weapons that we have stored, 7,000 missiles with warheads ready to be fired at a moment's notice. And then he announced a mobilization of 300,000 reservists, the first Russian mobilization since World War II. Today, he began the process of having votes to officially annex some of the Ukrainian territories uh, that uh, he claims he has to defend against Zelensky and the, the Ukrainian forces. And meantime, Zelensky totally dismissed the threat, saying it is predictable and shows the war is not going as Putin had planned. Zelensky said the Russians can do whatever they want. It won't change anything. Now, now, hey, Zelensky, you're getting a little too filled, filled, filled up with your own, uh, your own headlines. The Russians can do whatever they want. And what happens if they start firing nuclear-tipped warheads in the direction of Kiev, other cities in the Ukraine, against our NATO allies and against us? So let's knock off saying that the Russians can do whatever they want. It will not change anything. Yes, if they fire nuclear weapons, it will change things el rapido. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Meantime, on the BBC in London, a Putin advisor said that, let me tell you something. His name's Sergei Markov. 
he had barely exchanged pleasantries with the uh, interviewer, host Justin Webb, when he launched into a series of threats about nuclear war. Quote, it's not a good morning for everybody. In Russia, there's partial mobilization. And for your British listeners, Vladimir Putin told you that he would be ready to use nuclear weapons against Western countries, including Great Britain. Your cities will be targeted. If Great Britain will continue to be the aggressor against Russia, if Prime Minister of Great Britain Liz Truss still has a plan to destroy Russia, people in London should understand the threat of nuclear weapons is a two-way street. (laughs) Do we think he's bluffing, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Meantime, the single able-bodied males who fit into the age category of being drafted, conscripted into the Russian army, 300,000 of them, were flooding to the airports and buying one-way tickets the hell out of Russia. In fact, a lot of them were getting direct flights from Moscow to Istanbul and Turkey or one-way flights to Armenia. And these are countries that allow Russians to enter without a visa. They were sold out by Wednesday. Every Arafat flight out of Russia was sold out. And the cheapest flights from the capital, Moscow, to Dubai, which is where all the money laundering is done in the Middle East and the Persian Gulf, other than uh, Greek Cyprus, were costing more than 300,000 rubles, which equals 5,000 American dollars, about five times the average monthly wage. I mean, the Russians, especially the males, who would be conscripted into the army to meet the goal of 300,000 new conscripts, are running the hell out of there by all means necessary, Uh, many of them crossing over from the border, from Russia into Finland. And uh, (laughs) it's a mad dash. Meantime, the Russian opposition had called for protests against Putin's criminal war. You saw it taking place in the streets of cities all throughout Russia. Over 1,200 dissidents were arrested. And they may be found guilty of insurrection and end up doing 10 years in the gulag. I mean, that's hardcore, real hardcore. And then ally after ally, or at least former allies of Vladimir Putin, uh, die mysteriously after falling down flights of stairs or falling out of the windows of their condos in Moscow or St. Petersburg or falling off of their yachts that are stationed uh, in the Mediterranean. I mean, so far to date, about 16 of them who originally were hardcore supporters of Vladimir Putin but then had some negative things to say along the way with this war, as most Russians uh, are not all that thrilled with the fact that it looks like a quagmire. And in their case, all of a sudden, they mysteriously died. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Marie, who's calling from Middletown, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Marie. Hi, Curtis. Um, I graduated uh, Bishop Lachlan in 1975. Um, 
there were red berets on the trains, the IRT, I believe, um, but yet you're saying that the anniversary for the Red Berets is 1979. Yeah, 1979 is when we began the subway patrols in the Bronx. We did eventually spread into Brooklyn. Uh, but there are a lot of people who assume that we were out a lot earlier. I run into people like yourself all the time, Marie, all the time, who think uh, that uh, I had started the Guardian Angels either in the late 60s or the early 70s. Yeah, this was 1975. Well, now, uh, you went in 1975, so I got kicked out of Brooklyn Prep in 1972. Rudy Giuliani and his friend Peter Powers had gone to Lachlan before that. Uh, Did you happen to go to Lachlan when uh, Biggie Smalls transferred from Lachlan over to Westinghouse? No, I went to Bishop McDonald, which was an all-girls school on Eastern Parkway. Yeah, that that, um, that was our sister school for Brooklyn Prep because we were just a few blocks away on Nostrand and Carroll. Uh, and by the way, you had Bishop McDonald, which is now a school for the death uh, on yeah. Eastern Parkway. Then you had in the middle, uh, that was, I'm trying to remember the school. I know Clara Barton was all the way down. That was mostly girls uh, going for nursing although a lot of guys decided to go there because even if they were ugly ducklings, there was like 95% uh, women there, so they were going to score. And Prospect Heights was the high school in the middle, right across the street from the Brooklyn Museum on Washington Avenue. Yeah, Brooklyn Museum was right next to the high school Yeah, in Bishop McDonald. Now think about it. If you were a guy and you stood outside on Washington Avenue there's all those women coming out of Clara Barton wanting to be nurses. There's well, about they, they were rough girls. Yeah, really rough. But then there's the girls that were going to Prospect Heights, and then there were the girls going to Bishop McDonald. So even if you were a schlub, if you were uh, a geek, uh, if you had pocket uh, protectors with pens, and you looked like Frank Morano, you know, a throwback to uh, the '30s. <laughs> You would be able to score. If you couldn't score with like 3,000 girls getting out of school at 3 o'clock, you were were never going to score. Yeah, you were bad. All right. This is my second question. All right. God forbid you are on death row, say you committed crimes, and tonight at 9 o'clock you are going to be put to death. What would be your breakfast, lunch, dinner? Wow, that's interesting because they just had a case in Alabama where this big white guy had killed many years ago three employees and one boss. He had gone from job site to job site, uh, pre-planned to kill them, was given the death penalty. And so just the other day, they were going to uh, put him to sleep at 1130 at night. They couldn't find a vein for intravenously putting the poison into a system because the guy was so heavy they couldn't find his vein. He had requested to die by inhaling uh, nitric oxide, I believe it is, or no, nitrogen, because if you're not inhaling oxygen and it's nitrogen, you'll die from that. They stayed his execution, and his last meal, his last request, and this is typical of most prisons around the, the country, most of them in the South, where 
you're on death row and you have a request for a last meal. Uh, buckets of Kentucky Fried Chicken original <laughs> with biscuits, with the uh, mashed potatoes and gravy and all that. I wouldn't go that route. I'd say if I had one last meal coming. Wow, one last meal coming. No, say three, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, but and let's... don't say vegan or vegetarian. No. Because now think about it. You're going to die at 9 o'clock tonight. Mm. So why would you eat healthy? Now, let me do this first. Let me choose the method of execution. In some states, like South Carolina, like Utah, you can choose the method of your execution. It could be firing squad. And, you know, they'll either give you a uh, uh, covering for your eyes or not, cigars, cipar- uh, cigarettes, tipperillos you can smoke before they uh, shoot you, the correctional officers. The electric chair, old Sparky, that could have been up in Sing Sing where they used to execute men and women there in Ossining. Let's see, there's a uh, gas Kool-Aid. chamber. Right, gas Kool-Aid. chamber like in uh, San Quentin in California intravenous injection uh, where they kill you. Oh, wow. So many. Or maybe like uh, Mel Gibson, remember, in Braveheart, where they impale him at the end, the the English impale him. But I think the meal, my breakfast, would definitely be a bowl of Cheerios. Okay, we start with Cheerios, a bowl of Cheerios. Okay, that's your last meal. Okay. Okay. You want Uh, bananas in it? uh, No, plain. No bananas. Uh, uh, bananas give me gas. Uh, I don't want to be farting around in that 8-by-4-foot jail cell, bef- you know, my last day on this plane. Yeah, but who cares? Maybe they'll give you a, a stay of execution. Yeah, no, knowing the, any governor, they would never give me a stay of execution. You know they'd want my big mouth shut for all times. So <laughs> okay. lunch, I want a BLT sandwich, bacon, lettuce, yeah. and tomato. All right. A little light on the mayonnaise, not too much. But I want to save room in my stomach for the dinner because that's my last supper. Right. So I'm saying to myself, I'm on death row. The clock is ticking. The warden has come by. And the uh, steward takes, uh, the one who runs the kitchen, takes my order because they order out for your last meal. They don't make it uh, uh, in the uh, kitchen there whatsoever. The inmates don't make it for you. So I think I would do what they do down south. I get myself a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. I got to go out the same way as, uh, you know, my other comrades uh, down there on death row. Nice bucket of original, uh, nice biscuits, you know, with uh, butter on it. Definitely uh, nice fluffy uh, uh, potatoes. Um, Coleslaw. Uh, a little coleslaw, that'll help. Pickle. As remember, I was the world sour pickle eating champion four years in a row, having eaten eight and three quarter pounds in just eight minutes. Uh, yeah, but how were the people around you after you ate all those pickles? Uh, if you You're lit a match. Right. If you had lit a match, we would have all been blown to kingdom come. <laughs> no doubt about it. I won my first championship, world sour garlic pickle eating championship. At the uh, Second Avenue Deli, uh, the owner there, unfortunately, uh, within months, got shot and killed in a robbery. That person has never been caught. In fact, uh-huh. that's a booby prize for anybody out there who happens to know the name of the owner of the Second Avenue Deli 
who was shot and killed while delivering money to the bank uh, in a van, and no suspect has ever been caught on that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then I think for dessert, my last dessert in this world will be a lemon meringue pie. It's got to be made right because, you know, a lot of times they'll make the meringue right, but the chiffon is, like, not good. You know, it tastes like plastic. It's got to be really good quality lemon meringue pie. And then I'll just uh, wash it down uh, with a cup of coffee because I want to be wide-eyed and bushy-tailed when they put the juice in my caboose. Very good. And, I, and then I'd be a man's man. Say, I'm ready to go. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> Very good. Have a good night. You know, buddy. I wouldn't be like James Cagney, uh, angels with uh, dirty faces. Oh, no, no. Oh, my God. Oh, no. I say, hey, let's do it. Let's get it on. Great movie. That was a great movie. And remember why he did that. Why yes, Why was he screaming? The lesson. That's right. Teach the little boys that. You know, the East Side Gang, the East Side Gang, you know, uh, we're we're all impressed with him as uh, a big time gangster. And remember, the priest came, his his lifelong friend, the priest said, look, you could go out a tough guy. I know you're a tough guy, but you're not going to prove anything to the kids back in the Lower East Side. You got to you got to you got to you got to do me this favor or these kids are going to follow in your footsteps. And James Cagney, get out of here. And then he thought about it. Here's a trivia. Who played the priest? Oh, boy. Not Fred McMurray. No, he's tall, black hair. Mm. Oh, Carl Malden. No. No? No. Um, Wow, wasn't Carl uh, Malden with the schnozzola? He always had that schnozzola. Carl Malden was too young. We're going back, like, to the 40s, the early 50s. With- well, well, I tell you what, let's hold off on that, Marie, and offer that up as a booby prize for our listeners. Who is the priest, lifelong friend of Jimmy Cagney, who grew up in the Lower East Side, number one gangster there, got the death penalty, who counseled him to not go out like a tough guy, but go out like a wuss? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Do me a solid here, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator and nighttime producer. Send uh, Maria in Middletown uh, a Curtis Lee Booby Prize. Make sure that Jake the Snake Roberts, our director of merchandise, uh, jumps on it right away Monday. And if he sends it out at the appropriate time, whether it's United States Postal Service, you know, as it goes on the assembly line in the back of a post office, the bundle blesses are there, the gold breaks, uh, the no-show jobbers. And hopefully it'll get there within a week. Wow, we're popping a lot of trivia fast and furiously. Let's go to Larry in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Larry. Number one, if I was on death row, the most cruel way of me being executed would be, number one, having to listen to 24 hours of Frank Morano tapes. <laughs> Cruel. <laughs> Cruel. Now, what would be worse? Frank Morano tapes, 24 hours, or Yoko Ono singing? 
No, 48 hours of Frank Morano tapes. Wow. I would, I would kill myself, Curtis. I would take my life. But let me go on. Wow, that is solid, Larry. That is solid. Curtis, I'm the one who called last week and offered Frank a position for millions of dollars to do a porno flick. I just want you to know who I am. Oh, I heard that. I heard that we played that cut last week, I believe. And you did did play it, and I was shocked that he would actually entertain it. Well, now understand, Larry, I got bills, but I'm not a degenerate gambler. I got child support. He has bills simply because the moment he gets a dollar, he runs to the Borgata to shoot craps. He's hopelessly addicted. Come on, 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 I propose a question to Frank. You're on death row, your last meal. Mm. What are you going to eat? Now, I'm thinking this big shot who goes to the fanciest restaurants that none of us can even get close to. And I'm thinking he's going to order just a a 10-pound lobster. A lobster so big that without pants on, it could be arrested. (laughs) No. He came up with basically a glorified egg McMuffin. He is a schlub. He's a schlub. He it was an, it was an egg. He wanted an egg sandwich for his last stupid meal. An egg McMuffin. He could get two for like five dollars. Yeah, basically, it was it was one step, Curtis, above. An egg McMuffin. Wow! It was a, it was a it was an egg something. I pictured him on his last day, okay, sitting in his jail cell with a nice orange jumpsuit with his number nice and bright and shiny, sitting there with a, a ten pound lobster in his lap. A lobster so big, Curtis, that it looks like if somebody walked by, it would look like. It was the last day and his last conjugal visit. It did, yeah, just, but no, he wanted an egg McMuffin. Yeah, no, no, that that picture you painted, that theater of the mind, really grossed me out. Uh, The lobster, that 10-pound lobster would never have come out of the Long Island Sound, that's for sure, those scrawny lobsters. That would have had to be a legitimate Alaska uh, lobster or Maine lobster. One thing, I'm, I'm going to change the subject for one second. I'm going to bring up a town called Brentwood, Long Island to you. I'm going to take advantage of you right now. Sure. Uh, you know Brentwood better than anybody. Spent a lot of time there. And so did I. You and I are the same age, 68. From the age of 20 till the age of my mid-60s almost, I spent just morning, noon, and night in Brentwood. Curtis, I never witnessed any criminal activity. It's a beautiful town that, unfortunately, due to 
uh, an infestation has gotten a bad rap. Yeah, MS-13 uh, started to fly their flag there. That was the epicenter of their activity on the East Coast. What's happened since Donald Trump um, was disgraced out of office unfairly? What's happened in Brentwood? Well, he did a great job when he flew in on Air Force One. He had uh, Congressman um, uh, Congressman Peter King with him. He had the Attorney General at that time, Beauregard, from uh, Alabama. And right there in Brentwood. He was right there in Brentwood. That's right. He was at the, um, the courthouse, federal courthouse, and uh, they waged war on MS-13, uh, they got all the agencies to work together. Because remember, before that, Andrew evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, was referring to ICE as thugs. Not MS-13, but ICE. And through his uh, his ability to get everybody together, he said, I want everybody working together. Uh, ICE takes the lead on this because they know the guys who are traveling back and forth from El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, and coming in here and stage using this as a staging area. And they effectively uh, neutered, rendered impotent MS-13. Now they still exist in Brentwood, Central Islip, the Danch, Wine Danch, Hampton Bays, uh, over in Hempstead. But they're not as strong as they were under Barack Obama when he considered them like a junior gang, just like he thought ISIS was a JV terrorist. Uh, so he did uh, an amazingly, an amazingly good job there. Oh, wow, man. Really called out that Mama Luke, Frank Morano. By the way, are you aware, Broadway Bill Lee and uh, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, that... Somebody showed me a picture of Carmine, who's now 40 pounds, in his bassinet. And do you know what hangs over his bassinet, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery? Do you have any idea, Avery, what dangles over the bassinet that little Carmine plays with? Fuzzy dice. Oh, my God. As you know, Frank Morano, his father, is a degenerate craps player. In fact, sometimes tries to sneak in dice that have been shaved so that he has the advantage over the dealer at the Borgata. And it never never works. Never works. He thinks he can get, he can swap the, the shaved dice for... Come on, come on, come on, come on. The regular dice that the uh, dealer brings to the table. But they, they forgive Frank because he brings in so many suckers to the Borgata that shoot craps with him and lose their shirt. You have to service all of the clients. Our numbers, one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We flip from Vladimir Putin who has said, this time I ain't kidding, I'll turn you guys into a glass highway with my nuclear arsenal. And those who try to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that the prevailing winds can also blow in their direction. Uh, To the Ayatollah Khomeini. If the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will without doubt use all available means to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff. 
who has said if he gets his hands on the big one, he takes out the little Satan, Israel, and the big Satan, the U.S. of A. I want to remind those who allow themselves such statements about Russia that our country also has a variety of weapons of destruction. And if the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will, without question, use all the means at our disposal to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff. Yeah, I I don't think you're bluffing. (laughs) You know, uh, Zelensky, oh, he's bluffing. Yeah, Zelensky, you'll be the first one hitting Kiev. (laughs) You'll be incinerated. But what about us? And then we got to fire our arsenal from the SAC Air Command. Boom, we obliterate Russia, they obliterate us. For what? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, all the years you've been a fixture, an iconic figure at WCBS-FM. Do you think the uh, new Jack from Staten Island, Vinny Madunio, between 5 and 6 today, and then so nice they let him do it twice on Sundays before Jersey Joe Piscopo, you think he would uh, play a song like that? No. Do you think his mentor, Cousin Brucey, who's on from 6 to 10, would play a song like this? No. Tony Orlando without Dawn from 10 to 12 before I return to do it all over again from 12 to 6 to keep people up till the break of dawn. You think he'd play this? No. But Curtis Lee plays this. And offers a booby prize. What is the group that sang this song that um, uh, was imitated by John McCain, who took the microphone at a forum about the Ayatollahs in Iran and sang some of these same words? He caught hell for it, but he said, why not? Why not bomb Iran? Now, this would be uh, top 40 in Israel and Tel Aviv. Uh, and a Elat... And uh, it would be top 40 uh, right here in New York City, which has uh, more Jews than any other city in the world, including uh, Tel Aviv. Again, who is the group that is singing this? No, no, it's not the Beach Boys, Avery, uh, telephone talent coordinator. It's a riff off of Barbara Ann. Now... That is a song that Vinnie Madunio might play from 5 to 6, or his mentor, Cousin Brucey, from 6 to 10 later on today, or Tony Orlando without Dawn. The Beach Boys, Barbara Ann. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I want to tell you uh, to all those Iranians, those Persians, who were driving those trucks around Midtown, during the gridlock of the despots, dictators, and tyrants who once again were flooding their way into the uh, 
UN General Assembly as they do annually, tying a Manhattan up in knots. They really had some great billboards about the arrival of the president, Ibrahim Rassi, and how he and the Ayatollahs were responsible for 30,000 Iranians, Persians, who were either dissidents put into their gulags, tortured, raped, or were summarily executed. Really good stuff. I saw him going round and round. I went up to them and thanked them uh, for educating our public about that because generally we put it out of sight, out of mind. And you've probably seen uh, all of the demonstrations uh, that have existed uh, against, uh, I guess, what originally were called the ministers, ministers for virtue fighting against uh, vice. The morality police who ended up uh, killing that uh, young lady. And in fact, uh, her father uh, weighed in on this and totally blew up the propaganda of the uh, ministers of uh, virtue fighting vice. I asked them to show me the footage from the police officer's body cameras. They told me the cameras were out of charge. I asked them why you didn't transfer her to the hospital earlier when she collapsed at the police station. And they said the ambulance's key was lost for 20 minutes and they couldn't find it. And the father went on to say, The authorities made up a lot of lies. Iranian state media are saying she had health conditions before. But that's a lie. The medical report was full of lies. The doctor told me they would report whatever they liked. I went to the medical office a couple of times. They didn't let me in. The father speaking out. Uh, riots, demonstrations in 50 Iranian cities. And then uh, this past Friday, right after the day of prayer, Juma, pro-government uh, uh, lackeys poured out of the mosque and took to the uh, center parts of their town claiming that the uh, rioters and demonstrators should be executed. Executed. And they condemned the anti-government protesters and said that they were actually Israeli soldiers. Boy, the Iranians, uh, the Ayatollahs people, they really hate the little Satan Israel, probably even more so than they hate us. And... uh, Wow, did you see all those anti-government street protests? But they're going to attempt to crush. They're going to attempt to crush these demonstrations as they have. I remember back in 2019, there was gas rationing and gas price rises. And there were like 1,500 people killed in rioting and demonstrations uh, all throughout Iran. And then they come down with the hammer. And when Barack Obama was... uh, President, there were revolts uh, in the major cities, especially in uh, Tehran, and we never signaled the Iranian students and the dissidents that we would back them up completely and help them take back their country of Iran. That was a major, as far as I'm concerned, major, major mistake. So we got to watch this. This is to be continued. And remember, on this very day in 1980, The Iran-Iraq war began. The Iraqi president, Saddam Hussein, he was our friend at that time. (laughs) 
He was our friend. He launched the invasion into the oil-producing province of Khuzestan in Iran after a long-simmering border dispute could not be settled. Iraq withdrew its forces in 1982 and sought a peace agreement, but Iran's Ayatollah Khomeini renewed the fighting, leading to years of bloody fighting and thousands and tens of thousands of deaths for both sides. The two sides finally agreed to a ceasefire in 1988. Eight years of nonstop war, and we were backing Saddam Hussein. He was our friend then. You see, Broadway Billy, your friend one day, it's like uh, Gaddafi. You're an enemy. When uh, Reagan was the uh, president, he sent in fighter jets uh, to attack your compound, killed one of your sons. He was quiet. Then all of a sudden, with Bush uh, 43, your friends, and you gave up your nuclear weapons, which was a mistake of all mistakes, because then eventually <laughs> Barack Obama, who had just won the Nobel Peace Prize before he got elected president. One of his first acts was to listen to his Secretary of State, Hillary Rodham Clinton, and attack, attack Libya. Oh, my God. And then remember Iran-Contra. All of a sudden, emissaries of then Ronald Reagan and Vice President Bush, former head of the CIA, was sent uh, to sit down with the representatives of the Ayatollah Khomeini. We gave them uh, tow missiles, sold them tow missiles, and used the proceeds to uh, support the Contras against the Sandinistas of Daniel Ortega, who, by the way, has uh, put himself into power in perpetuity as a tyrant, despot, dictator, and... Uh, Put into place as vice president and his wife. They've arrested all their dissidents, including those who are Catholic uh, priests, nuns, bishops. The only one left standing is the cardinal that hasn't been arrested yet. Yeah, that's uh, that's the guy that uh, Comrade Bill uh, de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, and his wife Charlene went down there to help help the Sandinistas against the uh, Contras, who were being funded by Oliver North with the monies uh, from those tow missiles and almost caused uh, Ronald Reagan to get sacked. But then he acted like he didn't know what the hell was going on. And during the uh, Iran-Contra committee hearings of both the Senate and the uh, House, led by the the, uh, senator of Hawaii, it was Admiral Poindexter who uh, took the shift on behalf of Ronald Reagan and Bush uh, 41. That's right. Admiral Poindexter said it was I. I was responsible. Uh, Disavowing uh, involvement by either President Reagan, who he claimed had no knowledge uh, of how they were shipping the money from the sale of the tow missiles to uh, the Ayatollah and the Iranians uh, to support the Contras. That was a lie. Uh, and that Bush uh, 41 didn't have any idea, even though he had been director before that of the CIA. That was a lie. And so basically he took the heat. He said, I'm guilty. And Ali North put up an electrified fence around his property in Virginia, and he was attacked for using that money for such reason, although he made the uh, uh, presentation that, hey, my life is in jeopardy, not only from uh, the Iranians, but also from the other uh, 
terrorists from the PLO, Yasser Arafat's terrorists, because I led the effort to take those jets down, and they landed at U.S. Uh, Air Force bases in Italy, but the Italians would not let them take uh, would not let us take them into custody as they were uh, trying to escape to, uh, I believe it was to Tunisia. Wow, I am connected a lot of dots there, uh, uh, Broadway Bill Lee. There you go again. Let's go to Bruce in Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bruce. Hey, Curtis, uh, Chubby Tony Gwynn was your San Diego Padre, I think. That is correct. Uh, Tony Gwynn, who did not look in any way, shape, or form like uh, he was any kind of an athlete and yet one of the purest hitters, I think, uh, since I looked at films of Ted Williams. I mean, he had that just sweet swing. Yeah, he was good. Rod Carew was good for Minnesota also. I don't know if you remember him. Yes. In fact, a little bit of trivia about Rod Carew. What was his religion? Uh, Catholic. Nope. <laughs> Rod Carew I'm sorry. was Jewish. Originally, oh boy. yes, you were correct, from Panama, but he actually lived in the Bronx for a while. Hmm. Played ball there, was a Jew, apparently a practicing Jew. And I think hmm. Rod Carew uh, went from Minnesota. I think he played for California Angels. He was uh, just yeah, a. I think he did at the end there. You're right. A marvelous hitter. Absolutely marvelous hit. I, the other guy was a great hitter before him in, with Minnesota from Cuba. He escaped Cuba, Tony oh, Oliva. Tony Oliva. Tony Oliva was also a good hitter. You're right. Sweet. Harmon Killebrew. Um, oh, my God, uh, that Al guy. They had, they had some good hitters there. Harmon Killebrew, he would play in the old Yankee Stadium, and he would hit shots. Yeah, he had bombs. Into like center Howard. field Just beyond like right, beyond the monuments, beyond the monuments. Yeah. Uh, then they had uh, Don Mincher at first base. He he could hit bombs. Uh, yeah. Bobby Allison in left field. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. had a really good team. I mean, they, they never won anything, but they were good. You're right. Well, remember, they had Zolo Vasalis, who became the MVP at shortstop. I think at he short, was from yeah. Venezuela. And that was the great World Series, remember, against the Dodgers with yes. Sandy Koufax because of Yom Kippur. I believe it was Yom Wouldn't Kippur. Yep. Would not pitch, and everybody was, like, horrified. Like, what? You're yeah. not going to pitch in the World Series? <laughs> yep, I remember that. Oh, no, no, but they had Don Drysdale, they had Claude Osteen. It was a great team. And Minnesota Twins had a great team. Yes. And you know who just Chris, recently, yeah, you know, for you, Chris. One, one last thing uh, while it's on my mind. Sure. You know who just recently passed away for the L.A. Dodgers? Maury Wills. Oh, boy. That guy, let me tell you something. He'd lead off. He was a punching Judy hitter. He got on first. Yep. The whole yeah, team, <laughs> right, he'd steal second, he'd steal third, he might even try to steal home. Sometimes the Dodgers would win one nothing, simply because of what Maury yeah, Wills Maury did Wills. leading off. Yep. yep, you're right about it. I didn't know he passed away. Thank you for that little bit of information. Man, he was, man, he was a great, other than Ricky Henderson, maybe the greatest yeah. uh, base steal along with Lou Brock of all time. Yes, you're correct. Okay, Curtis, I have a question for you. What was Wolfman Jack's nickname or a slogan on WNBC? Wow. There you go. See. No, no, his slogan. He had a slogan there on WNBC. Uh, take your clothes off? 
You could not be more hopelessly wrong. Yeah. What was it? All, all the way with WJ. All the way with WJ. With WJ. Uh, see, but what, another question for you. Well, well weren't there times we'd be thugging? Right, but weren't there times where he would tell the listeners that they needed to take their clothes off while listening to him? Yeah, he was wacky. I must used to do that too. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. And and you said what happened to the we be thugging updates? Yes. Good. In fact, I'm going to revive it for tomorrow. So, 24 hours from now, we will do a we be thugging update. Okay, I'll be listening, Chris. In your honor. But stay on the line, Bruce, because you have won okay. that uh, booby prize. Don't okay, ask, don't tell. Oh, yeah, we got to do the We Be Thugging. Oh, that's my all-time favorites, We Be Thugging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and we got so much material to work with. Thinking back then, well, what a great team that the Minnesota Twins were, and they played uh, where the Great American Mall is now. No dome back then. It was freezing. They'd be playing spring, you know, the opening of uh, the season after spring training, and it'd be like uh, 20, 30 degrees out there before global warming and climate change. Jim Cott pitched for them, I remember. Jim Cott, who now broadcaster for the Yankees, uh, or was, excuse me. I'm just trying to figure the others. But I, I love Tony Oliva. Boy, he, from Cuba, he, what a sweet swing he had. What a sweet swing he had. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, another trivia question is, g- give me that song again, Bomb Iran. Give me that, Broadway Bill Lee. Who is it that sang this song? And by the way, what was their very popular song that actually made top 40? This did not make top 40. But they had a song that was a top 40 hit. And uh, let me give you a little hint. It would be played every year around Christmas. And, yes, Vinny Madugno, coming up from 5 to 6, he would definitely play that tune, as would Cousin Brucey, his mentor, from 6 to 10, and Tony Orlando, without Dawn, from 10 to 12. And then, remember, I do it all over again, 12 to 6, in which I have promised Bruce that there will be a We Be Thugging update. God, I forgot all about that. That was like my forte. The We Be Thugging update, and so much material now. Let's go to Joe and the Irish Riviera, Rockaway Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Hi, Curtis. Don't forget Camilio Pasquale. That's right. Camilio Pasquale, who I think was another Cuban also. He was. Man, he and I remember watching him pitch for the White Sox before he went over to the Twins. I don't remember that. Yeah, I remember he had uh, the manager there. Al Lopez was from Cuba. You had Luis uh, Aparicio played shortstop from Venezuela for the Chicago White Sox. Nelly Fox at second used to choke up halfway up uh, and was a great bunter. And Smokey Burgess off the bench, pinch hitter. The guy was uh, like one of the greatest pinch hitters of all time. 
Yeah, he was. I think he held the record until some guy from the Pirates passed him. I forget who, though. He was with the Pirates also at that point. Now, uh, which trivia of the many trivia questions that I've thrown out there do you hope to answer, Giuseppe? Oh, Pat O'Brien was the priest. Ah, Pat O'Brien, that's right. Pat O'Brien. Wasn't Pat O'Brien also, um, no, 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 that was Spencer Tracy in Boys Town with Mickey Rooney. Uh, Pat O'Brien. Pat O'Brien. Wasn't he also on the waterfront? No, that was Carl Malden. Ah, you see, I got my priest mixed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Priest mixed up. But Pat O'Brien grew up with James Cagney, Angels with Dirty Faces, and convinced him at the prison that he couldn't go out a tough guy. That was one of the greatest scenes of all time. Yeah, hanging on the, hanging on the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, radiator. Absolutely. So stay on the line, Joe. Who does not live too far from our own Sid Rosenberg, who lives out there in Bell Harbor, and not too far from Lou, the board operator originally with Imus in the morning show. And I remember when they had been fired by the fan for what happened, uh, with the Scarlet Knights girls uh, basketball team, by the way, I'll never forget it was John Corzine, chipmunk uh, face, uh, governor of New Jersey, another graduate of Goldmine Sachs. I, I don't understand why. You're always electing people from Goldmine Sachs. Half in the bag, Murphy. You think uh, maybe Fulop's the, uh, the mayor of Jersey City over my dead body becomes an ex-governor. Now, yeah, you got to elect Citarelli. Citarelli's in a... Uh, waiting there. He's in the uh, batting box. You got to elect him next time, the Republican. That's it. It's over. And he's not from Goldmine Sachs, by the way. Lou lives out there in Rockaway, and I was in Broad Channel the other day. Boy, the guys at the firehouse and Broad Channel were shocked to see me walking down the street. They said, whoa, whoa, whoa. How come you're walking down the street in Broad Channel? One guy goes, I listen to you every day, 12... 12, 15, and 1 o'clock, you know, the lunchtime edition. He he actually repeated what I generally said. Let's go to Rob in Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rob. Yeah, Curtis, uh, do me a favor. Tell Zeldin, when you speak to him, that he's going to come out. He's got to come out more aggressive to go after the Hercule Jerkel. She's a total moron. Otherwise, he's going to lose the election. He should be having conferences with the crime victims and embarrassing her each and every time. Well, I, I would agree with that, Rob. I think his uh, road to victory, though, it's very obvious. Uh, he must get 30% of the vote in New York City. He's got to pretty much approach what I got against Eric Adams. If he doesn't, doesn't matter how well he does in the rest of the state, and he's going to do very well because most of the rest of the state is solid red. Uh, but New York City, enough people vote from New York City, they can make the difference. He's got to get 30% of that vote. Well, I mean, I think he needs to be more aggressive. He's too quiet. He has to embarrass her. That's the only way he's going to win New York City. Well, uh, as you know, she had agreed to uh, one debate on New York One. It was like uh, dragging wild horses. But she was opting for the... Andrew evilized Cuomo's strategy of only debating one time when he was running for re-election. One time, one time only. Last time against Malinaro before he resigned. 
And he basically told Molinaro the last minute, hey, it'll be at CBS, it'll be for an hour, either show up or forget about it. But this is true of uh, so many candidates. Look at Fetterman in Pennsylvania. He doesn't dare want to be on the same stage as Oz. He's had so many uh, problems since he had that stroke. Then even DeSantis in Florida is only going to debate Chris, uh, uh, Chris, uh, uh, what the hell his name is? Chris, yeah, the guy with the uh, man tan, you know, the tan out of the can. We don't know if he's uh, homosexual. We don't know if he's heterosexual. We don't know if he's bisexual, if he's non-binary. He was a Democrat, Charlie Chris. Then he became an independent. Now he's a, uh, well, no, now he's a Democrat. He used to be a Republican, then became an independent. Boy, I got vertical. I got uh, uh, vertical. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. This is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend. The end of our elaborate lives. The end. What a great song. Jim Morrison and the Doors. One of the greatest rock and roll bands and performers of all time. Now, many people assume Broadway Billy, as I'm sure you did in your many years at WCBS FM, that uh, Jim Morrison uh, overdosed in that hotel room in Paris and is buried there in the cemetery. Not the case. Avery, uh, our telephone talent coordinator and evening producer, you should know that he is alive. He's alive. Machiavelli is alive. Some of the greatest songs of all time were created and produced by the Doors and especially their lead singer, Jim Morrison, who I believe came out of uh, Sarasota, Florida, or... Could have been the swamp there, Tallahassee. I know he was out of Florida. And we spoke of how Wolfman Jack 
And I miss at times total people listening on their terrestrial radios to take their clothes off while they were watching. Remember, it was Jim Morrison who took his clothes off in a performance in Miami and was banned from the USA. Banned. Remember they had that uh, concert at the Orange Bowl hosted by Jackie Gleason? Kate Smith performed a number of others. I think the Orange Juice gal who eventually was banned because she was thought to be homophobic. What was her name? What was her name? The Orange Juice Gal. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And eventually, Jim Morrison uh, and the Doors came back and continued to tour and make great albums here in America. The reason we play this song, though, is that uh, earlier this week, Greg Kelly, who comes on after me Monday through Fridays, uh, Bill O'Reilly, uh, Bill O'Reilly does a 15-minute uh, lunchtime update from 12 to 12:15, and then I give you 45 minutes of a rip and uh, read and commentary. No calls, calls I take all weekend long, uh, as I do the Quinella five different programs, morning, noon, and night, where the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. But uh, it's Greg Kelly who follows. Great show, one to three. He clearly has attention deficit disorder. He bounces around from topic to topic, which makes it very interesting because he's almost on the cusp of madness. And you see, this is what makes a great talk radio host. We are all crazy, those of us who are perceived of as being good. Those who just regurgitate what they've heard other talk show hosts or hostesses say, they're like a Xerox copy. But to be a really good talk show host, you really have to be insane in the brain. Look, I, I qualify for that. Everybody knows I'm insane, right? Greg Kelly, he shows flashes of insanity. Where all of a sudden he's like, ooh, ooh. And he'll flip the script and go in a completely different direction. He'll look out the window and see somebody walking by and describe them. And it becomes great theater of the mind. But there was a moment in which Greg Kelly decided that he could no longer bear the burden of coming into this same studio that I broadcast from and Sid Rosenberg does Monday through Fridays from uh, 6 to 10. Stare into this microphone, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound, without speaking about what horrifies him when he speaks into this same microphone. Oh, the headphones are on. Curtis left his headphones in. I love Curtis, by the way. You know, I do wonder. Curtis uh, uses this microphone. I use this microphone. Uh... Sid Rosenberg uses this microphone. I mean, a lot of people use the same microphone. Do we ever clean the microphone? I've never seen. I see tables get cleaned. I see rugs get vacuumed. I see glasses get cleaned. I mean, I can only imagine how much biological material has been absorbed by this microphone, and it's never cleaned. It's just there all the time. Um, Curtis is a fantastic individual. I don't think... He wants my germs. I certainly don't want his germs, which, let's face it, Curtis, no offense, 
you got a lot of cat on you. All right, we all know you love your cats. I'm more of a dog person myself. And at that moment, our crack head engineer, Dan Herschel, who was listening on headphones as he was hanging out at Bada Bing. That's right, the strip club in the, uh, in the, uh, Sopranos. It's real life strip club is Satin Dolls. It's right at the base of the 50,000 powerful watts of sound, the power of Lodi, New Jersey. He does adjustments on the tower, and the rest of the time, Broadway Bill Lee, he's adjusting his uh, Facebook profile and getting lap dances and brumskis from the girls, or the girls who claim they're girls, although they got a schlong taped to their leg, or the non-binary ones who are working the pole dance. And when hearing this, he immediately jumped to action and he said, look, we've got to take the microphone and do a complete biopsy. It has to be one of two things. A, number one, Sid Rosenberg, if you had read Cindy Adams, she was doing a critique on his show, said that every morning at 725, he has a bagel with the schmear of gefilte fish, so... To be able to do a biopsy on this microphone to see if there are any particulae of the gefilte fish. And then, of course, from my days of competitive eating, when I finished third in the Dirty Water Hot Dog Eating Contest at Nathan's Famous on July 4th on the boardwalk, 1996, I finished third. So if there is any particulae of a Dirty Water Hot Dog, that would implicate me. But I was somewhat flummoxed, uh, Broadway Billy and Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, that Greg Kelly bravely served as a Marine fighter pilot in the war against Iraq, a lieutenant colonel, would all of a sudden fear some biological fallout from this microphone. He wasn't afraid when Putin threatened us with nuclear annihilation. No, not at all. Even though Putin said, this time I ain't kidding. He doesn't fear global warming and climate change. No, Greg Kelly does not. And as you know, he has spoken sometimes while walking the streets of Manhattan that he has seen emotionally disturbed persons. Pass by, I fornicate him, mad dog him, could randomly uh, fight him and stab him, but he doesn't retreat or surrender from that. But oh no, he's put off Broadway Bill Lee by what he feels is biological fallout from either myself or Sid Rosenberg. So to his credit, Dan Herschel contacted the world-renowned microbiologist Peach Cotillo. You've heard of Peach Cotillo. I know you've known him over at WCBS-FM. They've had these same uh, problems there with their microphone. Because uh, in the morning, it's uh, our pal originally from WPLJ, Scott. Scott, who holds it down. Cousin Brucey uh, used to work there at WCBS-FM. You remember that, uh, Broadway Bill Lee. 
Cousin Brucey did a few turns there. And so I know that that, that, that microphone there is encrusted, possibly with biological debris from particulate. And I want to read to you what the results of the world-renowned microbiologist was who did the biopsy on the microphone here at WABC that I use, that Sid Rosenberg uses, and that uh, Greg Kelly uses. Peach Gatil indicates that he found traces of anthrax, Pantera, Megadeth, trail mix. Now, that's clearly Greg Kelly. He eats trail mix. Lipstick. That's either Lydia Serrani, partner with our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, who does the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion with their guests, or Rita Cosby, who precedes me. Then he found traces of Munster cheese, which clearly indicates that that's Sid Rosenberg because he puts the Munster cheese on the schmear with the bagel. So you know what our crack uh, engineer, Dan Herschel, did to his credit? Uh, we really got to give him a high five here, uh, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, and Broadway Bill Lee. He sterilized this microphone. He immersed it in boiling water. It was 560 degrees. He floralized it. You know what that is? Floralized it. He immersed it in fluoride. Now, I know that would upset those listeners out there who are members of the John Birch Society, that far-right group that believes that fluoride being put into our water supply, our drinking water supply, was a communist plot back in the 60s. They probably still believe that. And he ostracized this microphone, ostracized it. But still... In order to side with precaution, the show I did on Friday, I decided to practice safe talk. And I guess you could also apply it to safe sex since uh, the CDC released a study that uh, STD, sexually transmitted diseases, are at an epidemic level. It's out of control. So what I did, Broadway, Bill Lee, and uh, Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, is that I did the show from 12.15 to 1 with a condom on the microphone. Yes, a condom. Not lambskin, because as you know, there is seepage with lambskin, but rather a latex, triple X-sized Trojan condom. And I conducted the program so that I could not be accused of Greg Kelly of fouling the microphone, as he potentially had accused Sid Rosenberg, but engage in safe talk. You work in an industry where condom use is, a, is an issue. Did, did he use a condom? No. Did you ask him to? No. I honestly didn't say anything. Condoms are extraordinarily important to ward off the sexually transmitted diseases, which once again are ravaging our population. Syphilis, remember sitting in his jail cell as he sat in Alcatraz, was not able to escape on a tax wrap. That's right. It was Treasury that got him, Al Capone. 
the head of organized crime. Remember, syphilis was eating up his brain because of all the prostitutes that he had unsafe sex with. Horrible death. Hey, Curtis. Yes. Why did we have to know the size of the condom you used on the mic? Well, look how big this microphone is. It's a a radio show. No, no. Our audience has a right to know the size of the condoms that I used on this microphone in order to guarantee safe talk and safe sex if you wanted to multitask. Are you just being a great storyteller then? No, I'm not. We have documentary evidence. We took the photos. And uh, clearly, if you actually go back to the broadcast, you can hear me speaking with the condom on the microphone. I'm sure that there are some of our listeners who also multitask, who don't just listen to me on the Curtis Lee other side of midnight on uh, Saturday mornings from 12 to 6 till the break of dawn and Sunday morning. So nice. The suits let me do it twice from 12 to 6. But also listen to the lunchtime edition of the Curtis Lee show from 12.15 after Bill O'Reilly to 1. So you got the Will Chamberlain condom for the mic. Well, Will Chamberlain claimed that he had sex with 10,000 women. I, I find that very difficult to believe. And then again, competing with him is the lead singer of Kiss, right? Yeah. Simmons. That's right. Simmons with his tongue down to his ankles. And so was born Kiss almost half a century ago. And since then, we've been able to get literally thousands of licensed and merchandised products. Crazy stuff like Kiss condoms, Kiss caskets. We'll get you coming and we'll get you going, Cindy. Well, thank you, but don't push me too far. I still have a radio program to do. Can you? <laughs> I didn't like that. Cindy Adams conducted that interview, and he was flirting with her. This guy is a perf. He want that record. <laughs> never, never too late. Our numbers. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800. They told me to just deny it. Governor Clinton used a condom. gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to put this to a stop if there are any further questions that are degrading, in my opinion. Let's go to uh, John in Las Vegas. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, John. Hey, Curtis. Um, I know who the Second Avenue Deli owner was that was killed um, in the East Village. That was Abe Liebewald. You couldn't be more hopelessly correct. Yes, Abe Liebewald. Yeah, Miriam Friedlander was the council person back then, and I actually am a photojournalist. I got over there and got pictures of the van, and they were published in the next day in the Daily News. So I really do remember that. Yeah, Miriam Friedlander was like Joe Stalin's uh, daughter. <laughs> she would uh, march around with those uh, Russian boots on. She represented the Lower East Side in the uh, city council.
Uh, and uh, But Abe uh, Lieberwald was as great a man as you could possibly ever know. A uh, little side story, John. When I got uh, shot five times with hollow point bullets on the orders of John Gotti Sr. to John Gotti Jr. and the Gambino crime family on June 19th of 1992, for a full year I could not have solid food. So Abe Lieberwald would bring me chicken soup but strained. Totally strained. He would bring it to the apartment that I was sharing with my wife at that time, Lisa, on the Lower East Side, across the street from Tompkins Square Park on Avenue A in St. Mark's. Every day he would bring it. Every day. And so uh, after a year, he said, look, I'm hosting the first ever Sour Garlic Pickle Eating Championship, my provider. They still deal the pickles in the South Bronx, the old-fashioned Jewish style. So I'd like you to compete. I realize you probably can't eat any of the uh, pickles because uh, the solid food. But just, you know, try to eat one pickle. You'll you'll be the celebrity competitor, the rabbit. And, uh, John, I competed. They had some Russians, some Ukrainians, some East Europeans there. And I actually won. It was the first solid food I had really eaten in about a year. And I became the world sour garlic eating uh Pickle-eating champion. Uh, then after Abe Lieberwald was killed, uh, the 2nd Avenue Deli ended up moving to a different location. Uh, I guess it, his family still owned it, but it wasn't the same as it was before when Abe was alive. And then they moved the contest to the stage deli, where I won it three years after and then uh, eventually lost the title when I was doing a lot of chewing on the pickles, but nothing was going down the hatch. Well, you know, I think he was killed because he fought the guy that tried to rob him. I, I think the guy tried to get in his van, and he fought him. Uh, if he didn't fight him, he might have not been killed, but that's what happened, I believe. Dan, imagine, to this day, they have never solved that crime. It's in the cold case squad. Uh, it really should be revived. It really should be something. Uh, they get uh, fully, fully investigated because... It was such a bold crime. It was in broad daylight while he was on his way to making a deposit at the bank. Uh, and as you said, the gunman entered the van and shot and killed him in the van and then took the money. Yeah, and he was loved. I mean, they believe the wall was really like the whole neighborhood uh, loved him. Um, there was a lot of mourning that went on over that Um murder yes um, and it was just uh, shocking because stuff like that seems to happen every day now but back in those days it wasn't wasn't so common like that you know no in fact rudy giuliani had just been elected mayor so he was cracking down on the crime that had plagued new york city uh under ed Koch, and then it got even worse under uh david dinkins uh who followed him but even under uh, Rudy Giuliani's uh, leadership in the police department with first Bratton and then Howard Safer, who replaced him, and then Bertie Carrick, his three police commissioners, nobody was ever, ever able to connect the dots. But, John, you are correct. Uh, Abe Lieberwald, people in the Lower East Side will all tell stories of how Abe Lieberwald helped them in their time of need, whether it was a family emergency whether it was giving them money, lending them money, bringing them food, feeding the poor, the indigent, 
especially the old Jews. A lot of people don't realize a lot of the older Jews who lived in the Lower East Side were poor and impoverished. He would bring them the matzo ball soup. He would bring them food to eat, uh, the kasha, everything. Uh, he was just a real double mensch. Well, weren't you living in the neighborhood back then? I remember seeing your truck on Avenue A. You know, you had that Guardian Angels truck that had all the artwork on it. Yeah, we did the drug crackdowns uh, in the Alphabet Jungle, which was on avenues A, B, C, and D. It was like uh, something that hopefully this city never uh, dissolves back into, where 50, 60 people would be online to buy their P-dope from the drug dealer, and then they'd go into the abandoned buildings, shoot up or base, free base, uh, and then just hang out the empty windows and look like zombies but, yeah, I lived on Avenue A in St. Mark's right across from Tompkins Square Park, so I was just a few blocks away. I remember. Yeah. And, and as I said, when I was recovering from the, the bullet wounds, Abe Liebwald personally would bring over the strained chicken soup each day from the 2nd Avenue Deli because it was the only thing that I could actually ingest at that point. Well, homeless people used to say you could get food from him if you went over there and told him you were hungry and poor. That is uh, true. Homeless. Yeah. He would give you free food. So it was a shame because he was such a good guy. But a lot of times it's good guys that go go down like that. But um, anyway, yeah, I remember, like I say, uh, I have a, I have a photo archive of in, in NYU Library, and that photo of that van that was published in the Daily News is in the archive. And there's also a photo of you and Lisa at an award ceremony where you got a citizenship award over at the Gramercy Park Hotel, if you remember that. Um, they gave you an award over there, and I photographed that for the Daily News. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. In fact, stay on the line because John has earned himself a Curtis Lee will booby prize in Vegas, whereas Oscar... Goodman, the former mayor, said, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Remember, Oscar Goodman, an enemy of mine, when he was in Philadelphia, representing mobsters choking on their lobsters, the Bruno family that controlled South Philly. He got whacked. But uh, no friend of mine. And then you know who took his place? Mrs. Goodman. And now he runs the... uh, Museum of Organized Crime that Frank Morano is always shilling for, always shilling for. That's the one, remember, Frank said, oh, you go one time, you go two times, you'll never be able to see the whole museum. You have to go three times or more. Let this guy snore stuff. You know, he probably gets free visits in return to Vegas. No doubt in my mind. And then, you know what Oscar Goodman asked for? This piece of work, right? This this piece of garbage who defended the guys in Philly who tried to whack me, Skinny Molino. He said, oh, you think Curtis uh, could, could, could provide the bloody shirt that he was wearing uh, after he got shot, that we could put that in the museum? Yeah, and maybe you'll put a, a picture of John Gotti Jr. smiling over there with Frank Morano, his buddy, huh? Oh, man, this really got me pissed. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Bill in Highland. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Bill. Good morning. I I believe we're looking for Anita Bryant as the orange juice girl. That is correct, Anita Bryant. 
who attended that concert uh, demonizing uh, Jim Morrison and the Doors for having taken his clothes off in the concert in Miami. So imagine you had the three most powerful people in Florida at that time. Host in the Orange Bowl, 30,000, Jackie Gleason, a.k.a. Ralph Cramden, Kate Smith, and um, the uh, Tropicana Orange Shoes girl, as you said, Anita Bryan, who then was driven out of the business when they said she was a homophobe. Right, that's right. How about Caesar Tovar, Jim Perry, and Jim Cott, the Minnesota Twins? Oh, that's right. Jim Cott. Jim Perry. Jim Perry, who uh, was known to load the ball up from time to time. That was his brother, Gaylord. Yeah, well, look, like uh, brother, you don't think the the brother learned that from uh, Gaylord? Come on. You're right. That 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 KY jelly on the ball, that's what Cole, Jerry Cole of the Yankees, he had a little bit of that stick him on the ball that gave him more rotation. Now that they, they go out and they check the ball, can't do that anymore. Exactly. Not as effective. Now, you mentioned the third one. Who is that Minnesota twin? Cesar Tovar. Wow. Now, that I don't remember, Cesar Tovar. Yeah, infield, outfielder. Good. Another another good slap hitter like Oliva and Carrillo. Not quite as good, but they hit around 290, 300. They had a lineup from one to seven, you know? I know, but you see, what amazed me is when they would come from spring training and then they play like the, the first month. In oh, in the thirty five degree weather, right? You'd be you'd be freezing your tuchus off there because it was no dome; it was all outdoors. <laughs> hey, Curtis, how about Carl Malden was the priest and on the waterfront? That's right, Carl Malden with the the schnoz, the schnoz that looked like uh, you know he had uh, been attacked by bumblebees. I think the priest was. I think the priest and angels were thirty priests. It's an Irish guy. I think it's George O'Brien. Yes, it was Pat O'Brien. Pat O'Brien. Pat O'Brien. There you go. Yeah, we Thank had uh, a caller previous uh, to you came up with that. I, I thought it was Carl Malden. You see, I, I ended up with vertigo. So many priests that I've had run-ins with in my life. You know, you, I see a guy with a collar. I, I have no respect for them. I respect the nuns because they live a very chaste life. The priests, forget about it. They're ostentatious. <laughs> I went to a lady in Carmel in Astoria. The, the, the nuns there were brutal. They were like priests. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, stay on, stay on the line. Stay on the line, Bill, because uh, uh, we got uh, Avery, another another winner. I know, Avery. You, 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 your fingers are getting numb from writing all this down. But tough noogies. It's part of your job assignment. Uh, telephone talent coordinator. Let's go to Ann in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ann. Curtis, that thing that you did with the microphone was absolutely hysterical. It really, really was. My opinion, I know that Greg Kelly served in the military just like a thousand other people have, you know, but that's the only thing I can give him credit for. I was absolutely doing the happy dance. I heard him complaining about that microphone on air because I usually get up. That's the time I usually go, let my dog out and do other things. I can't stand listening to him. I was rolling on the floor. You deserve a medal for that. 
That was the funniest thing. I'm 80 years old. I never heard anything so funny in my life. And now, now let me ask you. Let me ask you a question, and um, I believe that was Thursday, right? I think it was Thursday's yeah. program. Uh, in fact, it was the last segment. I get about twelve fifty. So uh, when we take a break, uh, Broadway Billy, you got to find that because that, that's classic. Anne, at the age of eighty, yeah. says that she was rolling on the floor. It was beautiful. It was so funny. And I, I swear to God, if I was in that studio, I would have been hugging you, kissing your feet. That was great. I cannot stand that man. I really can't. And and for him to do something and say this, it was so tacky, classless, rude. You know, you don't say, oh, I really like Curtis. Curtis is great. Curtis is wonderful, but he's covered with cat hair. And the, what the hell? Are you freaking serious? I couldn't believe it. Well, I got to tell so you, glad. I got to tell you, when uh, Dan Herschel uh, reached out to the world-renowned microbiologist Peach Cotille, uh, you can be assured that although he found traces of anthrax, Pantera, Megadeth, trail mix, which is what Greg Kelly has, lipstick, which could have been from either Lydia Serrani or Rita Cosby, Munster cheese, which is what uh, Sid Rosenberg puts on his bagel. There were no cat hairs in the microbiologist's report. I mean, I couldn't believe that he had to say, well, personally, I'm a dog person. Well, who cares? You're being rude to somebody you were just praising and all of a sudden, you're accusing him of something so absolutely stupid and ignorant. Come on, Greg Kelly. You can't do better oh. than that. No, I guess he can't. Uh, I love you, Curtis. I love you. That You've got to play that every single week so people could hear it. Yes. It was a riot. Yes. It was a riot. Thank you. I love Curtis, by the way. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Curtis, thank you so much for being you. God bless. Oh, no, no. We will oh, definitely, definitely play that. Okay. Have a good day. Thank bye you. Bye-bye now. Thank you. So what you have to do, Broadway Billy, is find oh. me speaking about the uh, test that uh, Herschel, uh, Dan Herschel had uh, subcontracted out to the world-renowned microbiologist Peach Cotille. That was Thursday at about uh, 1250 and you can actually hear me talking with the condom on the microphone to guarantee that my colleagues here will be able to engage in safe talk. And with the increase that the CDC has claimed is now at an all-time epidemic of STD, sexually transmitted diseases, you could end up using that condom, that triple X uh, condom, from Trojans that I put on this microphone, you could end up using it uh, for safe sex also. So uh, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Oh, the headphones are on. Curtis left his headphones in. I love Curtis, by the way. You know, I do wonder. Curtis uh, uses this microphone. I use this microphone. Uh, Sid Rosenberg uses this microphone. I mean, a lot of people use the same microphone. Do we ever clean the microphone? I've never seen. I see tables get cleaned. I see rugs get vacuumed. I see glasses get cleaned. 
I mean, I can only imagine how much biological material has been absorbed by this microphone, and it's never cleaned. It's all night long. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Yes, as you heard, Anne, 80 years old in uh, Staten Island, say it was the most hilarious thing that she has ever heard on the radio. When Thursday, in the lunchtime edition that I do Monday through Fridays, right after Bill O'Reilly gives you 15 minutes from 12 to 12.15, I then do 12.15 to uh, 1 o'clock. It's a rip and read uh, with commentary, no phone calls. I... It's all phone call driven all weekend long when WABC, the acronym, stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis, but not Monday through Friday, 12.15 to 1. And hopefully our telephone talent coordinator, Avery, will be able to find the cut in question where I was actually talking into the microphone with a condom on it to guarantee safe talk for all of my colleagues. And then, in a pinch... You could use that same condom for safe sex. So not to be guilty of spreading what the CDC has described that is now at epidemic proportions throughout the United States. Not STP, the racist edge of Andy Granatelli. No, the racist edge. No, STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. Let's go to Pete in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Uh, somebody beat me to the quiz on uh, Pat O'Brien. I was waiting, but I got a, a, um, a trivia question on about him on for you. What other movie did he play a priest, a historic priest? Do you know that one? Hmm. So you mean Pat O'Brien? Yeah, he played an actual uh, historic priest in history. Okay, so I know Spencer Tracy played the priest in Boys Town right, with yeah. Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Hmm. You want me to give it to you? Yeah, you got me on that. All right. Uh, do you ever see the Fighting 69th? Oh, that's right, the Fighting 69th. About the World War One, the New York Irish unit? That's right, based out of the armory down there at about, uh, I think it's like... Yeah. Uh, East 26th Street or so. Yeah, he played the famous fight, Father Duffy. They're, uh, they're, uh, you know, they're religious uh, guy for the unit. In fact, the Fighting 69th all, always is the lead group at the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. They always kick off the parade. I didn't know that, man. Yeah, there was one St. Patrick's Day. Uh, they all came back to the armory. I was invited there with others. Uh, Donald Trump, Citizen Trump, was there with his wife. Uh, and then I gave, got up and gave a speech mm-hmm. in which I praised uh, Trump because I've had a love-hate relationship with him over 30 years uh-huh. for coming to the rescue of the annual Veterans Day parade, which was um, at the point of being canceled because they didn't have money during the Dinkins administration. 
and I said uh, he bailed it out at the last second without which, had he not uh, given them millions of dollars to run the parade, that would have been it for the annual Veterans Day parade uh, wow. in New York City. So he was so appreciative that I brought this up. The uh, place was packed with a lot of veterans and uh, members of the Fighting 69th. He sent me a gorgeous letter uh, within days uh, that he had signed with that classic signature of his, praising uh, me for what I had reminded people of what he had done. Father Duffy also won in a, uh, some kind of medal. It might even been the Medal of Honor. I don't want to go that far for because, you know, most of the religious guys from the different units would stay behind to help with the wounded and say prayers or help with the medical stuff with them when they came back. He was up in the front lines with those guys, and he won some kind of medal for helping out in the front lines. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Pete, you stay on the line. You're going to get a courtesy with Booby Prize. Uh, All right, buddy. Thank you. Because you stumped me. Maybe we'll do that in the, in the future also. Not only um, should you try to get the answer to the Curtis Lee will booby prize that I'm throwing out there. But if you have a trivia question yourself that you want to bounce off me and I uh, get stumped, uh, we'll send you a Curtis Lee will booby prize, which, uh, again, don't ask, don't tell. I throw nickels around like manhole covers. And it's a great WABC cap provided by our owners and operators of Red Apple Media, John and Margot Katsimatidis. Uh, that's our parent company. And for each show, it has a patch. So in the case of uh, my The Other Side of Midnight, it says the Curtis Sliwa Other Side of Midnight. If it happens to be the Mama Luke Frank Morano, they have the patch uh, with the uh, Frank Morano Other Side of Midnight. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Within 24 hours... Um, I'll be discussing a war taking place in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan. Crime ravaged. Uh, the guardian angels have been uh, asked to come in and patrol. But actually, it's citizens who have joined together to launch war against the lanternflies. And they have decided by all means uh, necessary they are going to destroy the lanternfly. They're going to do what the Agricultural Department of the United States asked them to do which is to uh, photograph the lanternfly, send a, a text of the photo to the United States uh, Department of Agriculture, and then squish it. We're uh, definitely going to end up uh, dealing with that matter because that pits them directly against my wife, Nancy, as you know who uh, believes that they are engaged like others who are killing the lanternflies in lanternfly genocide. And they are, uh, my wife has led the wartime resistance against the lanternfly in being pacifists, in providing sanctuary for the lanternflies. In fact, uh, let's uh, listen to uh, Chuck Schumer who uh, discusses uh, the war that he called against the lanternflies and has solicited millions of dollars for the federal government to conscript all of you. They don't hurt humans, but they destroy plant life. 
Our wineries on Long Island are very much afraid that they will spread out there. We've got to stop them in time before they decimate our trees, our agricultural crops, and our plants. Well, that's what brought him uh, to odds against my wife Nancy and other pacifists who have decided to provide sanctuary for the lanternflies and have uh, created the War Resisters League. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Classic Doors, Jim Morrison. Could be the end, according to Greg Kelly, who felt that this microphone that I'm talking to all of you in had been biologically tainted with foreign substances that were a threat to his health and to the health of every other talk show host and hostess who uses this same microphone. 247365. Our crack engineer, Dan Herschel, actually uh, subcontracted out the world's most renowned microbiologist, Pete Scatil, who then found traces of anthrax, Pantera, Megadeth, trail mix, which means that's Greg Kelly, that's what he eats. Lipstick could have been either from Lydia Serrani or from Rita Cosby. And Munster cheese that we know uh, is part of the uh, spread on the bagel that uh, Sid Rosenberg has every morning at 725, as was written up by our own Cindy Adams, yes. He sterilized this uh, microphone. He floralized it with fluoride which the John Birch Society would have been very upset with, and he ostracized this microphone. But even with all of that, I determined that in order to uh, guarantee safe talk, which included all of you listening, that you didn't get the fallout from the particular bacterial uh, crustaceans that were embedded in this microphone. It could well travel on the 50,000 powerful watts of sound. I determined that I would uh, put on a triple X um, size Trojan, super sized Trojan on the microphone to guarantee safe talk. And if uh, in a pinch, in order to avoid the growing number of uh, sexually transmitted diseases that the CDC said is at an epidemic level, any of our colleagues could actually take the triple X-sized uh, Trojan and use it for safe sex. Listen to how I conducted the program with the Trojan condom, Jimmy Cap, prophylactic on this microphone. I have taken one of these Trojan Magnum original lubricated Trojans prophylactics condoms Jimmy caps. In fact, let me take one more just to make sure that we have provided for 
for safe talk and potentially safe sex. Let me just adjust it on the microphone here. We've got to make sure that all of our colleagues here, especially Greg Kelly, are able to have safe talk. Man, where's the banana? I never really got this straight in sex ed class, putting this condom on the... Oh, I think I got it. I think I got it. Man, if I had this much trouble in my wild and frisky younger days, there'd be a lot of more young sleepers I'd be paying child support for, that's for sure. Well, let me, uh... Let me give uh, some credit where credit is to our crack engineer, Dan Herschel who was spending time in Bada Bing and uh, uh, Satin Dolls. That's the strip club right below the 50,000 powerful watts of sound in Lodi, New Jersey. He did due diligence. Let's give him credit where credit is due. He contacted the world-renowned microbiologist, Pete Schattel, and the uh, biological uh, biopsy came back. And let me tell you what... uh, this world-renowned microbiologist found on these, the microphone uh, of WABC. He found traces of anthrax, Pantera, Megadeth, trail mix. Now, wait a second. That's Greg Kelly who eats trail mix. Lipstick. Well, that's Lydia Serrani at the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion with John Katsimatidis. And Monster Cheese. That's the schmear that Sid Rosenberg uses on his bagel every morning at 725. You know how I know that? I read it in Cindy Adams. And so what um, Dan Herschel has done, Lou, to his credit, he has sterilized the microphone. He has fluoralized it. That's right, using fluoride, the same thing you use on your teeth. And he has ostracized this microphone. I want you to know that in order to secure safe talk and safe sex, we do not use the lambskin prophylactic Jimmy Cap condom because, as you know, it is not 100% efficient. It sometimes suffers leakage. So we've used the good old-fashioned latex. Oh, my God. Look at this. I got it on. Lou, I would have passed sex ed. I couldn't do it with the banana at junior high school, Bildersee, uh, 68 in Canarsie. But I got it on the microphone because, you see, I care about my fellow colleagues here at WABC. I care about Greg Kelly, who follows. I want to make sure that he does not have any microbiological particulae to worry about. But I feel exempted because there was not one particulae of a dirty water hot dog. As you know, in 1996, I finished third in the annual Nathan's Dirty Water Hot Dog Eating Contest in Coney Island. Not one particulae of a dirty water hot dog. All thanks to Dan Herschel, as uh, he found traces of anthrax, Pantera, Megadeth, trail mix, which is definitely Greg Kelly, lipstick, which is Lydia Serrani, and Monster Cheese, which is clearly Sid Rosenberg. I have been exempted. No cat hairs. There's no flotsam and jetsam from cats. Cats will not be vilified in this situation. And just know, it was Phantom of the Opera, right? And then the second longest-running musical in the history of the Great White Way Broadway was Cats. 
Now, the movie sucked, but the Broadway musical was El Magnifique. No doubt about that. So you see, I did it for us and we, not I and me. I did it for the staff here at WABC. Got to be a team player. As Greg Kelly served our nation so well as a lieutenant colonel, Marine, who uh, would fly those fighter jets in the no-fly zone over Iraq. To his credit, although I know uh, Ann is not a fan of his, he has talked about how the weapons of mass destruction uh, was a bogus reason to invade uh, Saddam Hussein's Iraq. That it was all for naught, a waste. Look at the mess, the mishigash that we've left behind in that we have individuals now in Iraq. The only ones of whom we can depend on are the Kurds to the north. It should be its own independent uh, country, Kurdistan. But we certainly can't depend on the minority of the Sunnis who were in power when Saddam Hussein was the totalitarian despot, dictator, and tyrant or the majority of the Shias, who just recently bum-rushed the presidential palace, swam in the pool, and basically had their own January 6th, like uh, residents in Sri Lanka, a.k.a. Ceylon, had done two months before. Those uh, takeovers of the presidential palaces were praised. Uh, by the international media, both uh, that in Baghdad and that in Sri Lanka, a.k.a. Salon. But when it happened on January 6th at our nation's capital, well, that was a a horse of a completely different uh, color. Up next, we're going to do a potpourri of different stories uh, as we take you to the break of dawn. And, yeah, I know a lot of folks here have uh, answers to the trivia questions or they want to ask me a trivia question. But we'll get we'll get to it. Just don't fall asleep. You got to stay with me all six hours till six o'clock. Eight, four, eight, nine, two, two, two. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 W.A.B.C. song by Neil Young, and it's the lead-in to this date. In 1985 was the first ever Farm Aid benefit concert that was held in Champaign, Illinois. The idea was born out of the Live Aid concert held earlier in the summer and a comment made by Bob Dylan at the show. Talk about a guy who's an old man. Bob Dylan looked like an old man when he was a young man. Look at my life, I'm a lot like you. 
Dylan said he hoped some of the money raised at Live Aid might go to some of the struggling farmers. Less than one month later, organizers Willie Nelson. Yeah, now that's a real old man. Neil Young and John Mellencamp announced plans for Farm Aid. The concert featured a mix of stars from rock and country, including Johnny Cash, Loretta Lynn, Sammy Hagar, I Can't Drive 55, Lou Reed. I wonder if he had the spike in his arm. And John Denver. Farm Aid has raised tens of millions of dollars since then. Farm Aid 2002 will be held this Saturday, today, in Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, that's right near where Trump's rally was Friday night. John Mellencamp, Willie Nelson, the Dave Matthews Band. Wow, Dave Matthews Band from South Africa are all scheduled to appear. Now, that's for the older crowd, right? Meantime, uh, in Central Park today is going to be the Global Citizen Festival New York City. For Girls for the Planet to End Poverty. Now, this is uh, also one of these themed concerts. And uh, trying to urge everybody to be a global citizen, to come together. Us and we, I and me, no, I and me, yes, us and we. One world order, some people have said. And who's performing? Heavy metal-wise, Metallica. The Jonas Brothers, they better not be wearing their purity, their chastity uh, rings, because nobody ever believed that crap from them. Mariah Kelly, Carrie, diva of all divas, guarantees she'll be lip-syncing, and many others. But meantime, <laughs> oh boy, City Field, right? Home of the Mets, Steve Cohen. The owner and operator who should be in jail for insider trading information. But once again, there is a concert taking place at City Field called Rolling Loud Music Festival. And once again, they've been told by the NYPD, you better eliminate the uh, drill rappers who are supposed to be performing this weekend. So apparently... Uh, the three drill rappers have been told your services are not wanted because if the organizers of Rolling Loud at City Field had not removed the drill rappers from the show, the NYPD would have shut it down. It's not the first time that Rolling Loud and the NYPD have clashed. In 2019, five drill rappers were removed from the festival's New York pit stop, including Casanova. And Pop Smoke, who went up in smoke when he was killed, I believe in that Beverly Hills mansion, was hanging with some girly girly, killed by some bloods, and they got a mural to Pop Smoke up on 92nd Street, make that 82nd Street across from Bildersee Junior High School on Flatlands Avenue. It's all in blue because he's a crip. And at the time that uh, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, had been informed by his son, who apparently works for that degenerate hip-hop monster Jay-Z in some capacity, his son had told him about the growing uh, emergence of drill rap and how it has uh, caused a lot of violence in the streets in terms of retaliation 
over how drill rappers diss and dismiss one another. Eric Adams' first response, if you remember, was to ban it. Hey, schmuck, putz, this is America. You can't ban this stuff. So then he invited them all to City Hall. He took a picture and he goes, wow, I feel really good now. This guy's always flip-flopping all over the place. But the NYPD, to their credit, said, if you intend on going ahead with your Rolling Loud concert at City Field, the uh, founder is Tariq Sharif. You're going to have to eliminate three drill rappers. Smart move. Smart move. And hopefully, hopefully the mayor will keep his mouth shut and not comment on this because I can just see him intervening and saying, well, you have a right to be heard. Yeah. They can listen to themselves, the echo lost in the subway tunnels of New York City, right? That's where the doo-woppers and acapella guys used to practice their craft. Oh, speaking of somebody on the rebound, the train daddy is coming home. Who's the train daddy? The former MTA New York City Transit President, Andy Byford. You remember Andy Byford, the Brit, who would have his tea and crumpets in the morning before he'd make the rounds. He had run the city subways and buses for over two years. And he said yesterday that he'll resign next month as the top dog at London's transit agency running the underground and the double-decker buses, the midnight buses. Now, here in New York City, train riders love this guy. People who work for the MTA, the money-taking agency, the conductors, the motormen, the maintenance folks, the token worth clerks, the track workers, they love the guy. I didn't. I called him a wanker at a public meeting. I don't think anybody in the crowd understood what I was saying, but he sure did. He's about one of the whitest guys you'd want to know. A- A- Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, when you describe McWhitey Whiteys, that's Andy Byford. Uh, his head is in the shape of a light bulb. But anyway, he's coming back. Nobody knows exactly where he's going to live in the States. But it's interesting. You would think he'd be prime time to get his job back with the MTA money-taking agency. Because the only reason he uh, lost it was he would clash always with Andrew Evilized Cuomo, who thought he knew more about the MTA subways and buses than Andy Byford, which he did not. And he had made the job intolerable for Andy Byford, so Andy Byford went back to run the London Underground and the double-decker buses and the taxis, and in fact uh, gave Queen Elizabeth II her tour of the uh, finished line that had taken many, many years to develop. It was the uh, Queen Elizabeth line. So it would be good if Andy uh, Byford is coming back because his last residence was here in New York, that he be hired by the MTA, the money-taking agency. I'm going to suggest to uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin that he should say if he becomes governor, he's going to hire him back because Kathy Crime Wave Hochul had... uh, appointed uh, Richard Davey, the New York uh, City Transit president, who's doing a lousy job. Yeah, I think that would be a good selling point for Lee Zeldin. And again, we got to do everything we can to elect uh, Lee Zeldin uh, governor, his running mate, uh, former deputy inspector of the New York City Police Department, Esposito, lieutenant governor, over Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, 
and Delgado from the Mid-Hudson Valley who doesn't know from one minute to the next whether he's black or Hispanic. And if you would actually lower him into any of the five boroughs of the city of New York, even if you had a global positioning system, a GPS, uh, he'd still get lost. Oh, you like this? The CIA has launched a podcast hoping to demystify the agency and boost recruitment. Yeah, I'll go more into this in 24 hours. Yeah, you know me. The acronym uh, CIA is Criminals in Action. They really are. They have an open checkbook. They're answerable to nobody. It's part of the deep state. In fact, who is credit? <gasps> Daniel <gasps> Patrick Moynihan, the U.S. Senator from New York had asked that we abolish the CIA because he said it's a rogue operation part of the government. We'll discuss in 24 hours what this podcast will mean. Another podcast here, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, our telephone talent coordinator. My my dentist has a podcast. He wants me to listen to it. Hey, I got no time to be listening. Uh, my plumber has a podcast. He wants me to give a give an ear to it, listen to it. Everybody has a podcast nowadays. Everybody has a podcast. See, uh, a city university of New York enrollment declines as billions in repairs are delayed. Apparently, whole structures are falling apart. There are broken turlets, glue traps covered in mice. And even a raccoon that was caught crawling out of a duct into a classroom at Brooklyn College. Brooklyn College. I believe that Rondo Rivera had gone to Brooklyn College. I believe that initially Alan Dershowitz went to Brooklyn College. I believe that uh, Norman Siegel former head of the New York Civil Liberties Union, went to Brooklyn College, a whole host of notables. And back then, you had to take a test. And if you scored uh, in the high numbers, your tuition was free. It was considered the Ivy League of public uh, universities. Boy, it's fallen on hard times. In fact, it's had a decline of students from 274,000 to 243,000 with a lot of the equipment outdated. And the theory is, is because the equipment is outdated, many of the schoolrooms are suffering from deterioration without any repair or maintenance, that that's why students are not coming. But anyway, i got to tell you, for so many students who graduate the public high school system and they get boosted up through social promotion simply because they can inhale and exhale and they have a heartbeat, How many times they register in a CUNY school and they have to take remedial classes in math and in English at 10th and 11th grade levels, things that they should have had in high school. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Take that, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, who thinks he's the musical connoisseur here at WABC. The other day, Broadway Bill Lee, and you'll know this for all the years you've spent at WCBS-FM. He was trying to claim, as we were texting back and forth, that Le Freak was the best song of uh, Chic. Or I Want Your Love. 
or Everybody Dance or Dance, 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 not. The number one song all time of Sheep is Good Times, without a doubt, 1979. I'll never forget, I had just taken the Guardian Angels out of the Bronx where we were birthed. Rode that D train, which is now considered the worst line by the riders of the MTA subway system, money-taking agency. That's according to a survey of actual subway riders, strap hangers, and the best line, which was one of the worst lines when I was growing up, the LL train, which stood for Lousy Line. My stop, Rockaway Parkway, last stop in Canarsie, all the way to 8th Avenue and the connection in Manhattan to the A train. But it was horrible back then. Now, the L train is uh, been buffed up because of all the hipsters and millennials who live along the area in northern uh, Brooklyn. First stop in Brooklyn, uh, coming from Manhattan First Avenue, is Bedford Avenue. Then there's Lormore. And you go through all kinds. I mean, wow. There's Jefferson, eventually all the way down to Bushwick, Aberdeen. The hipster millennials, the white hipster millennials, are even living in Bushwick, Aberdeen, which is just like a stop, a stone stow away from Broadway Junction. They'll soon be invading that area, no doubt about it. But that's why it's the best line now, because it's the most on-time line. It has the most trains. Wow, what a turnaround. You take that, uh, Post Snurdly, a.k.a. James Golden, who will be on... Uh, from 7 to 10. See, there's no competition for... No, no competition. I'm sorry. Good. This is good. Both songs are good. But James Golden, he has just no idea. Chic. 79. Good times. Yep. Yeah, play this one. Play this one, yep. Yeah, I gotta straighten him out, put him in his place. Yeah, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. The best out of all those jams is definitely good times. I'll never forget us striding into Coney Island. Right off that D train, Coney Island, Stillwell Avenue, across from Nathan's Famous. And there were the crazy homicides. They were shaking down the vendors intimidating those who wanted to go to Coney Island and committing crimes under the boardwalk, unspeakable crimes. And then I remember telling the guardian angels, okay, guys, nobody at the 60th precinct precinct is doing anything, so it's time to kick ass and take names. And that's exactly what we did. It took us months and months and months But we drove them the hell out of Coney Island. And all the other gangs that were 
regularly ride the F train, the D train, the N train, into Coney Island. Boy, they had another thing coming. I said, man, I thought you guys were in the Bronx. Think again. We're now here in the big C.I. You know, like the Warriors. Remember? Oh, good. So good. Take that, James Golden, a.k.a. A man who thinks he's the musical connoisseur here at WABC. You better think twice. Check it out, I'm the C-A-S and the O-V-A and the rest Took it from the Bronx to Brooklyn. And then I fornicated Mad Dog these gangbangers and said, we rock the house now. We control C.I. Coney Island. And we control the subway lines in the Bronx. Not you gangbangers. No cops back then. 1979, Ed Koch had laid off cops, firefighters, teachers, social workers because of fiscal restraint. We are on the cusp of bankruptcy, something we may be facing in 2023, where we will be uh, facing a growing $10 billion deficit. And I'll never forget those times we passed the Tornado. That great ride there, the Cyclone. Oh, one of the greatest roller coasters in the world. And then the uh, Dino Wonder Wheel. Ah, the fixture in Coney Island, right? Come on along, I'll take you to the lullaby of Broadway. Yeah, maybe that's what I ought to do. I ought to escort the illegal aliens that we're housing in the Milford Plaza now. Prices went from one twenty-five a person to now seven hundred dollars a room. As friends of Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, are gouging us seven hundred dollars for a room. Maybe I should take the illegal aliens from Venezuela on the D train, which is considered the worst subway line of the many subway lines in the city. And trust me, none of them are good. Even though they claim the L train is the best now, none of them are good. Too much crime. And take them to the big CI. What do you think? Even though the season's over. Yeah, take them down to Coney Island. Along the boardwalk. Let them see the parachute jump. Say, no, no, you don't have to. You don't have to crawl up there and take a parachute dive down. No, no, no. It's just a a monument now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wind more of that chic in there. I like that. I like that. You should be in the DJ booth. 2008 Odyssey, yeah. I'll be on that dance floor. I'll be whirling and twirling like a whirling divish. Not a diva. A whirling dervish. Let me straighten that out real quick. You know, I got a petition, uh, owners and operators... John uh, and Margot Katsimatidis. That I really should have a one-hour musical show. I mean, I got enough hours on the weekend. I I could do disco, which obviously was my forte when I was on the dance floor with the polyester waffle weave flame retardant polyester shirt. 
And then the bell-bottom pants, and naturally the marshmallow Elton John shoes. I mean, I could do that, and then another weekend I could do an hour of electronic dance music. And then I can get into R&B. Oh, I got some of the best R&B collection. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, can't touch this stuff. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, Broadway, Bill Lee. Yeah, it's a party here. I told you I'd take you to the break of dawn. No sleeping on me. No, no. Or WABC. Straight from Dayton, Ohio. The Ohio Players. You can't touch this, James Golden. Don't even try, Bo Snurley. On from 7 to 10. Remember that album cover where they had that sultry sister with the golden blossom honey that was poured all over her sultry naked body. Oh, yeah. Throwback, Curtis Lewis style. I should have my own musical jams here at WABC. R&B, disco, and electric dance. <laughs> this is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. And again, we finish it off with Anita Baker. What a great songstress, jazz singer extraordinaire. And special thanks, uh, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, our telephone talent coordinator, to Rick in New Jersey, who, while attempting to get the trivia answer for who lost her job as the singer and spokesperson for Tropicana Orange Juice because of what were claimed to be homophobic comments, he said, Anita Baker, instead of Anita Bryant. And immediately I went into flashback mode to that time that I was at that uh, piano bar in Greenwich Village. It was there. It was a nice crowd. Her piano player was tinkling the ivories. And she was singing just like she's singing now. Few, if any. Few, if any, were as good as Anita Baker. And then I remember halfway through her presentation, very relaxed, she dedicated a song to me. And I said, it doesn't get any better than that. I'm trying to remember what song it was. Oh, so good. First of all, she herself was sultry, smooth, Extraordinarily feminine, extraordinarily sexy and attractive. But the voice, the voice was like overwhelming. Because you say like comparable for me would have been Chaka Khan, Chaka 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 Khan. But still, nothing could touch this. And you will never once have heard James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, 
in a year that he's had his own show on WABC, Monday through Friday, 4 to 5, before the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion, hosted by John Katzmatidis and Lydia Serrani. And, of course, the three hours coming up live, 7 to 10. You never, ever heard him spin the stacks of wax of Anita Bryant. You didn't hear it from Vinnie Madunio, who's on from 5 to 6. Cousin Brucey, 6 to 10. Tony Orlando without Dawn from 10 to 12. But you hear it exclusively. But yours truly, Curtis Lee, who promised once again to take you to the break of dawn.